I was about to keep this going. So, <laughs> I was like, okay, that was one hour break discussion, so let's just keep it moving instead of having to sit here and start all over again. <laughs> but, but well, yeah. not not recording, but we can just do. We can give Andrew Marr and Dr. Gordon a plug because Andrew's documentary "Quiet Explosions" comes out this week. I believe it's on Amazon already, and. They've been on our show many times. Actually, Dr. Gordon's been on our show many times. Andrew's been on once. And then I talked to Andrew. Thinking, separate- has he been on once or was it twice? I can't remember. I think I think it was twice, actually. You're yeah, right. Twice. Because he came, he came on once on his own, and then he came on again with yeah. Dr. Gordon down the line. So anyway, those guys are out there doing incredible work. The documentary is – I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I can't wait. I'm definitely going to watch it this week. Yep, same here. <clears throat> and when you buy that, when you rent it, the proceeds go to help – the causes that are mentioned in the movie, you know, so so it's it's not only something that is educational and entertaining, it's basically a, a donation to a nonprofit as well. Exactly. And so you know, these are the people, and just kind of get into because people, I know you missed kind of this, uh, you missed the discussion that we were already engaged in before we start recording, but it was just going so well. I was, that's why I had the record button. But we, <laughs> what we're talking about right now is just like people that you know truly are not waiting for someone to take the wheel and do things for them. The people just take charge of things, not giving a damn about what someone's thinking. They just realize, Hey, this needs to be done. And I need, here's a problem. We need, here's a solution. Let's put it in action. And right now there's such a lack of that going on right now. If you look at our current political climate, basically the reason why there's so much unrest going on right now, because there are so many people who in between these elections are not really taking charge of their lives or really effectively on their own doing their part to affect change and, and create a better situation for a problem or a need that they see. They're waiting right. around for these people who make these promises, these open-ended, empty promises to come along and do these things. And this is the problem when you're waiting for someone to do a job for you when you can just get up and start doing it yourself. Even just moving just a little bit toward that goal and that solution each day is a big accomplishment. That's still progress, you know, and, and that's still forward movement going on, you know, starting with yourself. And then if you got other like-minded individuals, you all join in together eventually because usually when people see, Hey, I've got that same issue and I see that you are already working on that. Hey man, what can I do to help? And that's usually what happens. You start getting this collective or whatever. You start making, this is what a grassroots movement looks like. And then eventually you start affecting the change that you want to see. And then those suckers that were walking around for four years claiming they, they wanted to help you, they're going to do this, that, and the other, and they didn't. And then all of a sudden, when you start making, when the attention starts coming to you because these politicians or whoever else or elected officials or experts, you know, one thing they love and thrive off of besides money and power is attention. You know, so if they start seeing you getting attention with this, they know it's going to get attention to them as well if they join right. in. You know, and most people don't want to be the first to do anything. I don't care who you are. You know, I don't care how smart you are, how how rich you are. So many people are waiting for someone else to make the first move because you know why? People are straight up adverse to failure. You know, they they don't like to fail. They don't like to sit there and look like they don't know what they're doing. So they want to see someone else either fail or succeed at it. And if you succeed at it, they want to swoop in help, and then, of course, try to take the shine off. If any of you guys working in corporate America, you know what I'm talking about. You all pretty much probably have that manager, that one manager, you know, is always assigning things or whatever, and always someone, hey, we're different here. We think outside the box. You know, you're a great asset to the company. And then once you start becoming very creative, and then when the bigger boss comes in, your manager jumps in and makes it seem like it was their idea. 
or it's like, oh, it was the team, you know, with my leadership and blah, blah, blah. I made sure that these guys were in an environment where they could thrive. And so somehow he's passively aggressively taking credit for the work that you've done. Now, should you take the lead on a project that utterly fails? then, oh, yeah, they will throw you under the bus in a heartbeat to secure their position. Well, guess what? Your politicians and, and leaders are no different. So my thing is, so you're like, well, sincere, then what do you do? You just keep doing what you need to do in order to get that change. So, hey, man, so be it. Who cares? Who cares if they'll throw you under the bus? Do what you need to do. And my thing is don't sit there and wait for permission to do things. And I think that's where we get in trouble. Waiting right. for permission to start, right. to start something. Hey, mm-hmm. Mike, um, so – um, so, you know, I like, you know, I, don't, I haven't been doing deadlift, but should I start incorporating it in my workout, you know, to get stronger than just sitting here and just doing, you know, body weight squats, whatever. Why are you asking me? I don't know you. That's, I'm like sincere. Should I start, you know, using kettlebells or should I use dumbbells or should I just do body weights? Like, you know, just body weight exercises, like on your, on your DVD. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what you should be doing. You know, I can only give you a perspective for me and where I am right now. Now, you asked me this six months ago, you probably get a different answer, again, pertaining to me. But my thing is, why are you asking me for something that is so personal? It is none of my business. Even when I'm talking to my friends, we're talking about investing. Hey, man, so I'm, I'm about, I want to start investing. You know, um, so should I get ETFs or should I, I mean, I really like Tesla. So why should I just put my, close my IRA and put that in the Tesla? Well, okay, first of all, I don't know your finances, bro. <laughs> so don't, and I'm not a financial expert either. Uh, you know, and uh, anything I say would be just my opinion for myself, but I can't tell you what to do with your money. Okay. I'm not your wife. <laughs> okay. So, and that's something you need to work out with her, bro. But that has nothing to do with me. Don't put me in that position because I don't want it. So, but stop looking for permission to do the things that you want to do. So one of two things are happening. Either when you're looking for permission to do things that you want to do, A, you're either afraid that if you make that choice and it doesn't work out, then you you failed and there's just no way you can start again. That's not necessarily true. Okay. So, or B, you didn't want to do it in the first place. <laughs> so yeah, that's the reason yeah. why you're looking for permission. You almost want somebody to confirm like, yeah, I know in the back of my mind, I probably shouldn't do mm-hmm. this and I really don't want to, but it sounds good and everybody else is doing it. But man, I just need somebody to give, just to give me that. Okay. That, yeah, you need to leave that alone. And that's what ends up happening, especially when people want to start a business. Because, hey, being an entrepreneur is all the rage and firing your boss. Everyone, who who wouldn't want to do that? Well, yeah. people people that, quote, unquote, love job security. They talk a good game, but, man, something about getting that paycheck every two weeks makes them feel a lot better, you know, than they actually have to right. sit there and have to put in the work and build something from scratch on their own. So, and, and, again, if that's the position you choose, there's nothing wrong with that. The only time there's something wrong with that is when you talk a good game as if, that's not what you want to do and how much you hate it and how you got to start on your own, but your actions say otherwise. That's when it's a problem at right. that point, being a hypocrite about it. So it's like, dude, just own it. You know, some people like to play, you know, the soldier instead of being the commander and the leader. They, some people are like, I don't want their responsibility. I won't be responsible for these other people's lives and, you know, their families and, you know, keeping this position open for them. I don't want to be responsible for that. I just want to focus on me and my own situation. Okay, good. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, if that's what you do without harming other people, so be it. There's nothing wrong. Take, go with that. But there's so many people that just keep trying to hop on both sides of the fence. Like, hey, man, choose a side on this thing. You know, where do you stand? Yeah. I mean, there's even plenty of people who work for other people and they hate what they do and they're just hoping to get fired. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're they're, they're too quit. effective at 
their job. Yeah, exactly. Just quit. But that it goes back to you're waiting for permission. And I've been there myself. I've done the last several jobs I had. Whenever I got fired from one of those jobs, I always felt good about it you know, because I didn't want to do it. It's not like I love the job. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, man, I don't, I'm not going to come in here anymore and try to sell servicemagic.com to, <laughs> to merchants that could give a fuck about right. what I have to say. It's like, man, I'm really going to miss that job. It was just a job. It was no passion. And then the last job I ever got laid off from was the best thing that ever happened because the parting advice I got was you're not made for this world. You know, you're an entrepreneur. And that's the thing is when you're an entrepreneur, you don't even have to decide that on your own because if you try to not be an entrepreneur, you're going to fail consistently. And to the point where you realize, okay, let me try this entrepreneurial thing out because working for other people is not working for me. I keep getting laid off. <laughs> I keep getting keep fired. Getting I'm up, keep getting written up because I keep talking back or I keep, to my, you keep committing insubordination because basically you're not, you know, falling in line and towing the line or whatever. <laughs> Cause you're like, dude, that, that's not what you just proposed is that sucks. And that's going to end up messing up the bottom line. I mean, how, how dare you question me? I've been at this company for 40 years. Well, well that right there is a problem. Okay. When, I, when I worked for the servicemagic.com, and I think they still exist, right? Dot-com bullshit company, SoftBank, back them back in the day. This was 2002 or so, 2001. So anyway, I worked for them for maybe six months. Now, when I first came in, they had this really antiquated sales model. They said, what we want you to do is go out there and physically meet with merchants in the home improvement landscaping front and pitch them on signing up for a free trial of this service. And then once they get their first lead that they accept, they start getting billed, right? So that, that was the soft sell approach. Now, the thing, now I looked at this going, okay, this is a numbers game. So if I'm out there driving around all day, meeting up with people, making the same pitch, I'm going to have a limited amount of actual merchants pick up this. So I go, why don't we harness email marketing? I mean, this is a fucking internet company. You know, so right. why are we out there talking to people face-to-face all day long? So you're hiring a sales force to go talk to people face-to-face when you can easily put together a well-constructed email that explains the benefits and the process of enrolling and just blast it out to people. Now, when I, when I brought that idea up at a meeting, my boss said, no, you know, that's not the way we do things out here, blah, 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 blah. Now, I went over his head and did it anyway, and I had really good results with it. And his superior actually praised me for that, right? But that pissed him off, you know, my immediate superior. So when it came time to fire somebody, you know, I was at the the top of that list, you know, even though I'm the one producing the most volume for this company. That just goes to show you that this this petty bureaucracy, these petty disputes just hurt the overall growth of the company. But the reality is, is that this company never should have had a sales force. It was a total waste of money. I mean, they were paying $3,000 a month plus whatever your commissions were. So, I mean, $36,000 base salary, that's pretty fucking good for a sales job. You know, most sales jobs, you get barely anything, maybe a thousand a month, sometimes nothing. Sometimes it's a hundred percent commission. So that's actually pretty good, but it's also a waste of money. (laughs) Right. I mean, because, Think about how much business that salesperson has to produce just to be commensurate with that $36,000 you're paying them. And that doesn't even take into account the commission and then the medical benefits and everything else that came with the package. So after a while, they realized, okay, they got rid of the entire sales force and everything went online. It was all online marketing to attract new merchants and new, new clients or new customers. And that's what they should have been doing in the first place. 
I mean, but in a special way, you're looking at a time period where we're talking 2002, you know, early yeah. 2000s. So even then, just the, the idea of an online business and online marketing, online company period, you know, just being in this space of technology was still kind of foreign because during that time, they, they, a lot of companies still didn't understand how they were going to make money online because right. they were coming from, you know, this brick and mortar life. You right. know, even online, a lot of them were still, I mean, the yellow pages were still around. And I'm not, I know there's a generation right now listening <laughs> like, what the fuck? What is a yellow pages? You know, what are these? You know, but you know, there were still people still doing business out of the phone book. You know, they actually had books that had phone numbers of every company and every person that lived in your community for those that don't know any better or don't right. know anything about this. <laughs> and so, and what people would do, like before all, before you could have people sign up for your email list or gather people's information and create an, e you know, an email or whatever, before you could do that, before that happened, people would actually look in the phone book for, and look for clients by cold calling, <laughs> meaning they would just right. sit there and randomly pick a name in the phone book and call that person and pitch that business. To them. They, they didn't qualify this person or anything. It's just like, oh, let me go through the E's today. Each oh, day they go through a different I, letter. I've, I've, done, like, I've done that. You know, I, I can say I'm speaking from you know, experience. I'm not making I this up. I didn't last long. I didn't last long doing it because. I'm, thought, I'm not making this up. Come on, yeah, man. You actually, I'm doing this from experience. <laughs> so, I think the 30th rejection in a row, you're like, you know what? This strategy ain't working here. Then they lie to you and tell you in sales. It's like, look, for every 20 people, for every 19 people to tell you no, one will say yes. That's the same thing you get from dating services, too, like for dudes. It's like, look here, man, for you talk to 20 chicks in one out of the club, one will eventually give you some attention and, and be a potential, like, right. win, as if you're winning a prize or something like that. But she'll talk to you and she'll go out with you. You know how discouraging that is? Like, okay, first of all, most nightclubs are open four hours, okay? So basically what you're telling me, I've got to harass five women per hour in hopes that only one will actually give me her number. That sucks. Okay. <laughs> that sucks so bad. That's why you have dudes doing some of the dumbest things to try to get a woman's attention because of that mindset that is so archaic and is, it was lame when it, when it was actually so-called the thing to do. It was not the right. thing to do. So it's no different in sales to sit there and just randomly call somebody. Cause trust <laughs> me, I've been on both sides of the phone here. I've been the one that had that made cold calls. From when I worked for this um, telemarketing company, and I've been on the other end way more times than I'd like to admit. <laughs> but, it, but as you get older, it becomes fun. You know, yeah. you sit there and like I, I would love I love answering with like a foreign accent, and then uh, <laughs> or, or I'll hand it to my wife and have her just speaking straight up Arabic to someone and just really confuses the hell up. Like, okay, this said this is a this is a middle aged black male. But what the hell is this person talking to me? Who is this? <laughs> you know, so I had, you know, I had this Indian guy who works for Southwest, right? He's, obviously, he's in India and he's calling on behalf of Southwest. And I just happened to pick up the phone and he's going on and on and on about how great Southwest is. And I go, I go, let me interject something. I go, I've flown on Southwest before and I got to tell you, it's by far the worst airline I've ever been on. Now, the reality is it's not the worst, it's the second worst. Spirit's the worst. Spirit. I just want to, I just want to <laughs> fuck with this guy. And leave our he's, like, he's, like, he's like, no, 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 sir. I was like, hey, don't call me a liar, man. I just told you, I've flown that airline. You know? And then I got this guy so bad. I got this guy so mad that at the end of the call, he's like, fuck you, asshole. You know? <laughs> I go, man, that was made by day. That was fun. Let's do that again. Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to start putting together 
cassette or not cassette tapes because no one's gonna buy a cassette, but <laughs> I have to start putting together recordings right. <laughs> like uh what Jim Florentine does. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna start practicing this. You know, who knows? This could be a this could be fun that turns into a new revenue source. You know? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just becomes a whole different segment of the podcast where both of us just sitting here doing is these prank calls. The pranking these yeah, people. We don't yeah, we don't have a guest today, so what we're going to do is we're just going to wait for people to call us randomly <laughs> right. on each of our cell phones, and then we're going to record those by three-way each other in and record exactly. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to go straight high school on them and three-way them. <laughs> Jim Florentine has the funniest. This one sales guy was pitching him, and Jim Florentine's like, well, you know, why don't we meet up at Motel 6 later on today, and you can tell me more about it. <laughs> the guy's like, oh, uh, okay. He's like, by the way, you know, he's like, what do you look like? What, what's your body like? And then the guy, the guy's all answering. He's like, yeah, you know, I like to work out a couple times a week, and, you know, I like to take care of my body. And then Jim Florentine's like, well, do you look great in a nice tight pair of jeans? <laughs> you know, and finally this guy's like, Oh, uh, you know, uh, sir, you're you're making me feel kind of uncomfortable here. I go, why are you talking to someone who's <laughs> obviously fucking with you? I mean, come on. Because they're so programmed to get the sale. You right. know, like, don't, somebody, you, you know, they have those managers in there, like, don't hang up unless you get the sale. They're on That's that right. old, they're on that Ben Affleck boiler room, ABC, always be closing. Right. You know, Glengarry, right. Ross, whatever. Yeah. You know, always well, be closing. Don't you dare hang that phone up until you close the deal. I don't care what he says. Tell my, you don't take no for an answer. I'm like, well, how about I took, um, going to a meet him at a random motel wearing tight jeans as my answer. And that's my no. Okay. So it may not be necessarily know the word itself, but just those actions alone make me want to hang this phone up. How about that? I don't care. Do whatever it takes. Uh, no. <laughs> you know, you know what the problem is that people have when they go into sales is they're coming out of a mentality of a mentality of A through F grading in school, right? Yeah. So they're thinking to get an A, that usually has to be above ninety percent to get an A. So right. they're thinking that's what success is getting ninety percent of whatever you're doing correct. So now you're coming into a sales job thinking, okay, if I'm really good at this, I'm going to close nine out of ten. Nine out of ten, yeah. Good luck that's with that. That's never going to. Yeah, it's never going to happen. You close one out of ten, you're doing fucking well. Look, in baseball, if you hit the ball I was just ball, about to say, in baseball, the top, yeah, the top hitters, yeah. you know, they get three. Three out of ten can get you in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Three out of ten home runs. So 70% okay? of the time hits, you're missing. I mean, yeah. So I'm like, you're missing, you're missing 70% of the pitches that are thrown at you. You're hitting three out of ten in a career. If you... Look at that. Look at someone that has like a 10, 20, 30 year career. Well, not 30. God, no. <laughs> so, but a 10 to 20 year career. And basically their average is hitting three out of 10 pitches. You know how many baseball games that is? That's like anywhere. If, even if they never were injured and made every game, you know, you're looking at about what, 200 games in a lifetime, you know, so, no, not even 2000 games in a lifetime. If they do, if they go like 20 years or whatever. And that's all you get is three out of ten, and you get in the Hall of Fame with that? Right. Now, who the hell are you to think that you're going to close nine out of ten? Okay, <laughs> really? Who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> but a lot of times, especially when you're young and get into sales, you know, you're still very impressionable. These guys who are these managers, sales managers or whatever, which means basically these losers pretty much don't have to close anything anymore. You know, their business is to try to sit there and pump you up for failure. But – you sitting there, you're impressionable, and these dudes blow smoke up your up your ass and make you think that you can do it because hey, 
you're young and energetic and you know, you know, this is the time to do it. You're in the best stage of your life. You can close this. Who's going to say no to a young, energetic guy like yourself? And you buy into that bullshit. And then for some reason, even if you get, let's just say three out of 10, but there are three huge sales. Now you've skewed things a little bit. You don't necessarily shoot for the nine out of 10. Now you think that every time the three that you get are going to be these giant, they're going to be the biggest sales of the week or whatever. So now you just adjusted things for more failure <laughs> because, hey, man, you're still playing a lotto at that point because you don't right. qualify these people. You're pretty much just guessing and hoping and praying and wishing and, you know, maybe it'll go work in your favor. And that's so random and good luck with that. I mean, you might as well go visit Mike in Vegas and go to the strip and go gamble, <laughs> you know, but even then <laughs> the best gamblers have a plan and a strategy. When right. they sit at that poker table, when they sit at that blackjack table, they don't just sit their ass down, get a free drink, you know, sit there and try to flirt with the dealer or whatever else, smoking their <laughs> cigarette, you know, and and yeah. just think like, yeah, this is the day. Well, I feel like making money today. I'm going to play blackjack today. And I'm going to play maybe three rounds. I'm going to win all three times. No, no, because at the end of the day, I always remember the house always wins. So if your ass sits there long enough and win long enough, you're going to start to lose. You're not going to really realize how you're losing. It's just all of a sudden you're going to think like, oh, my God, I, my luck ran out. No, that that was a strategy. And that's the reason why. So, yeah. But, again, you can't just sit there and depend on random BS luck. you got to have strategy, man. And you got to ask yourself, like, okay. And that strategy has to be based on something. It can't just be based on the fact that that's just, oh, I feel good about this, and that's what I want to happen. That's a good start. Right, right. <laughs> that's a good start. <laughs> but don't put everything into that. Yeah, trust your gut. But at the same time, <laughs> trust your gut. You got to also understand, like, what did you feed your gut before all this? <laughs> well, that, that's always my joke. When people say trust your gut, I go, look, I, I trust my gut. I don't know if I trust your gut because you're, I can tell you don't have good gut health just looking at you. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so I think we need, to get, we need to get you on a combination of peptides first, BPC, right. 157, TB500, some probiotics. Let's rejuvenate your gut. You know, then we can start trusting your gut. Because <laughs> obviously right now, your, your gut, gut, your gut, your gut blocks very bad decisions from what I can see right now. Right, yeah, your your gut fluctuates between diarrhea and constipation. So basically, you have a really you have a really bipolar gut. Right? You know, so we need to get you past that, and then we can start looking at this gut. No, you're so right about a strategy. My strategy has always been really simple with business, especially being in the fitness industry, supplement industry, is that just provide great content for people. That's completely free to help educate them on how to improve facets of their life. Because now you're developing a level of trust of going, hey, I read that article, I tried that program, it worked really well. Or what he said about adrenal fatigue applied to me and I followed the steps in there and it made a big difference. And this is without any kind of transaction taking place yet. You're not even worried about that. Because that's going to come. You know, you never want to be desperate for business, ever. Right. If someone's rude, you, you fire that motherfucker without hesitation. You know, you set the tone of, I'm going to provide great service and I'm going to be a good person, but that doesn't mean that you can, the customer is always right and you can just walk all over me and I'm going to put up with it because I'm so right. worried about your money. Then you set that tone right off the bat. But when, when you demonstrate value, people are way more receptive to wanting to support your business. I mean, when this whole pandemic started, the first thing that came to mind for me is just step up your game right now. Now is the time to step it up because a lot of people are going to be at home. They're going to be looking for training advice. They're going to be looking for ways to take charge of their health. And they're going to want to support companies that are feeding that need. Right. And it worked. You know, it worked really well. When 
right through this whole pandemic as smooth as possible. And like you and I were talking, we're both having really good years. And not a lot of people can say that right now. But that's because they're they're victims of circumstances so much. I mean, people have the illusion that when things are going well for the economy or the stock market, it's going to go well for you. And when it's not going well, it's, things aren't going to go well for you. And it's it's really the opposite. I mean, most Americans aren't even in the stock market. So it doesn't yeah, matter exactly. if it goes up 10,000 points because they're not in it. You know, they don't have right. either. They don't have the money to be in it, or they don't have the education to know what to do in it. Combination of both, but they're not in it, and that's why when people always say that the stock market's doing so great, as if that's a reflection of the economy, and it's it's two separate entities. So yeah, what they don't understand is that the stock market is first of all the stock market is doing something that most likely that person that's talking about it is not doing. The stock market is looking at the future. It is not looking right. at what's going on right now. Right. It's projecting. Right. Okay, and that's what it's doing. It's speculating. And and what it's doing is it's speculating based on I mean not all the time, but the majority of the time they're looking at they're doing it's doing its due diligence. It's looking at this sector. What has this sector done? What is it doing right now? And what is it doing go, that is motive that's moving it toward the future? And can it replicate what it's been doing? Can it beat these earnings? Can it continue to innovate? Or pretty much is it at a standstill? And if people actually did that with their lives and take stock in their lives, you know, quote unquote, then I think they'll be a lot better off because and ask themselves the same question. They should do the same thing. You should really take stock in your life and do your due diligence on where you are at the moment. All right. What have I done? OK, how did I get to where I am right now? And then you look at that and you, OK, what could be better and what was working? And should I continue to bring that along as I move forward and just pretty much keep improving upon that? Or should I just scrap that all together? Was that a waste of time? And when, before you even decided that's a waste of time, how many times did you actually test that out, though, and give it a chance? To, did you give it enough time to mature, or did you did you bail out too early? I mean, it's so crazy. I'm like, if you actually, when you really start getting into the stock market, you realize it's no different than anything you should be doing in your in other aspects of your life. You know, basically, it's just, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. It's basically a symbolism of everything that goes on in your life if you actually pay attention to it. Yeah. But, yeah, like I said, a lot of people don't give things enough time to actually come to fruition. And then right. there's some people that just won't let shit go. <laughs> okay, it's just like, all right, yeah. bro, you've been beating this dead horse for a minute. It's not working. Like, okay, you've been working on this business. I mean, yeah, there are some anomalies out there. I was going to say, you've been working on this new business venture for the last five, six, ten years. And it's still, you still have yet, you've only had one or two customers and they were both relatives. Okay, so those are, those are those are mercy transactions. Okay, at best. Okay, so you can't really go with that because you don't really have enough data to quant you know quantitative data to actually look at the statistics. Okay, I have this customer, blah blah blah. You can't really dig deep with that. And even if you went to go in and get like a line of credit or whatever else to finance the business, you can't take what Aunt Sally and Uncle Jim what they purchase. You can't take that to the bank to get a line of credit. That's not going to be enough for them to say, like, okay, we're going to give you a line of credit now to help you grow your business, you know, even though you've only been trying to do it for the last 10 years, and you've only had the same two customers every time. And then after a while, Uncle Jim and Aunt Sally, they get sick of, like, supporting your dream after a while. They're be like, you know what? Enough of your dream. You need to wake the hell up and, and give this up, okay? It's a wrap. No more. No more mercy. <laughs> no more charity from us. So huh, who do who, who do I know that's a close family member that falls into this category? Hmm, it's escaping <laughs> me right now. <laughs> no, it's, it's so true though. I mean, if you've been, I was just watching this this video with Kevin O'Leary before we started recording, yeah. And he talked about how, I mean, when he he talked about how when he if you have a business 
and three years into it, you're still not cash flow positive. He goes, it's a hobby. You know? <laughs> right. It's not a business. So it's like not, I mean, you can't build a business in three months and you, you can't even fortify it in three years, but you should have some indicators that you're moving in the right direction. Now you shouldn't just be burning losses year after year after year. To my venture, the IRS will remind you why you can't do it either. They'll be like, wait right. a minute. <laughs> They're like, no. You're getting audited and then you don't understand like, well, I don't make any money. Why are you auditing me? You should be auditing people right. that make money. And they're like, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> You've been doing this for five years reporting these losses. That's a little suspect, brother. That's a red flag. Oh, it, it happened to my dad because my dad has this water whisk business, right? It's this, it's this particular kind of fishing fly that mm-hmm. floats on top of the water that he got all excited about. So he and his, one of his previous colleagues got together and bought this company and they have no clue what they're doing in terms of building a business. So never really went anywhere, but what they, they were reporting losses for five or six years in a row. Right. <laughs> and after a while, the IRS is going, okay, we need to come over to your place of business and see if this is actually a legitimate business. So right. they actually came over to the house and my father had to show them the flies and the paraphernalia and you know, all the data. <laughs> And then they're like, okay, okay, fine. We just had, we just had to check all this. But in their mind, they're thinking, there's no way this is legitimate because right. who's just gonna, who's just gonna stay on a sinking <laughs> ship for five or six years? <laughs> so that's, that's the hilarious. Now you can ask yourself, why is he still doing this business? That's a good question. And I don't have a good answer. <laughs> so I can't answer that. I can't answer that for you. But <laughs> That's like Jim Rome says. That's one of those mysteries in life, right? Like, why do people do certain things? Like, who the fuck knows? You know, it's just one of those mysteries in life. Oh man! <laughs> so, like, why do some people go into a casino with no strategy whatsoever? Like, look, I play blackjack, right? And you don't have to count cards and all that, but at least know basic strategy. I mean, they give you the fucking card to look at if you want. You can sit there and look at the table. And honestly, the dealer will usually give you advice too on what you should do based on basic strategy. So you're not going to win any money doing basic strategy, but at least you're not going to lose the house so fast that you can play long enough to have some fun. But right. but how many people even do that? Almost nah. no one. They're Almost all thinking no like, one. Like, as soon as it gets to 21, I'm going to win. Like, mm. <laughs> so what happens when you got 17? What are you going to do? You can always tell when there's 17, they're looking like, oh, shit. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's yeah. like... No, sometimes, I mean, blackjack is so random, you should, you should never feel too confident no matter what your hard cards are. <laughs> right. Here's what I mean. One time I got, I had a big bet on the table, I got two kings. I was like, fuck yeah, man, 20, I got this shit. And then I was turning and talking to someone behind me, and then I turned back around, and I see the dealer taking all my chips away. I was like, what the fuck happened? And she had a three, eight, ten, boom, 21. I was like, what the Fuck. I was like, I can't even win with 20? I thought for sure. I was going to leave after oh, that, too. I was bro, like, cool, I've I gotta, been there. I'm going to end this night on a good note. I was like, this is perfect. You know, perfect. I'm just going to win this bet, and I'm all getting ready to do whatever I'm going to do next. And then I turn back around, and all my chips are gone. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been there, man. When you had 20, you're like, yeah, it's a wrap. It was like, no, it's not. <laughs> and you just see them putting those cards on your account. I'm like, all right, 13, 17. 19. All right, now that I know they're about to go over. Then it's like, tw- what? Two, what? 21. What the fuck? <laughs> it's like, and then you're all pissed off. It's rigged. This is rigged. <laughs> I, I've had 21 before and not one because the right. dealer got 21. Yep, and then it's I, just a push. I was like, what yep. the fuck, man? I can't even win with 21. Now, not blackjack, but 21, two separate things. 21, yeah. But, but, but still. 
<laughs> yeah, so I mean, so it's it's. But the thing is, is that if you have an effective strategy in the long run, you'll do okay with whatever it is, as long as you're consistent with it. Whether it's working out or building a business or playing cards, you know, I don't care what it is. But if you have an ineffective strategy, it's not going to go anywhere no matter how much time you put into it. Like, I mean, think about how many people go to the gym every day or several times a week, and no one looks any different. Now, not everyone's trying to look different, so it's something, we've, got to, we've got to qualify this. But it's a measurement of improvement. But what you also don't see is any measurement of improvement. They're not getting stronger. They're not getting more flexible. They're just putting in time. Right. And clearly, that's not enough. It has to be more delineated to your specific needs. It has to be more precise. You can't just go in there and fuck around and expect to get good results. Right. <clears throat> I mean, like with shooting, right? Like if someone just shows up at the range and they just start blasting, you know, not trying to improve technique, you know, like, like yeah, you know, as long as I keep showing up, I'll get better just organically. So, yeah, you might get a little bit better, but you're not going to get really good unless you take make some concerted effort. You bring in someone like you. You bring in an expert who can say, look, here's what you're doing wrong. You're holding it this way. You're, you're holding your breath at the wrong time. Your stance is all off. You know, things that you can't always see when it's just you. And then that makes a huge difference. But what if you never do that? What if you just show up and think, oh, I'll figure it out? Yeah, it's, it's amazing because I have so many people like, man, all this time I've been doing it this way. And now, wow, I'm not shooting to the left anymore. I, I just thought it was the sights on my gun. I'm like, yeah, yeah. you know, we, we tend to always kind of blame the thing <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> you, know, you know, I was yeah. like, look, man, I said, you have a, you got, you, you purchased a firearm from a reputable company. So it's, I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, it's been through rigorous tests and they've tested it out with some of their best shooters. They've made sure before they put that thing in a box and shipped it off to a store to be sold that they're going to make sure the sites are okay. You know, they, I mean, come on. I said, but a lot of times we don't want it. We can't even imagine that it's us. I said, I said, don't trip. I've been there too. I'm just thinking like, oh, you know, maybe, you know, this, this caliber is too big and, you know, I'm not there yet. To be shooting the one, it's just it has too much recoil. You know, I've been there in my early days of shooting or whatever. Then I realized once you learn all those things that you just mentioned, you know, the stance, breathing, you know, proper grip, sight alignment, sight picture, all that. You know, once you get those little foundational things mastered, instead of all the other stuff that people want to do, everybody wants to do all the tactical stuff. They want to run and gun, and they want to do all the things they see John Wick doing. All I'm like, you do understand that Keanu even had to learn the basics and do those basics over and over and (laughs) over and over and over over again before he could even think twice about actually shooting on the move. And and pretty much, I said, once you really start working on those things, you can go back and look at a movie like John Wick, and you can see all the things that he did right. But most people who have no idea, they just see like, oh, that was badass. You know, I'm sitting there. It's it's a study. It's a study reel for me. The first time I'm watching it, I'm checking to see. Even when I went, um, I watched um, the Equalizer, Equalizer two. You know, because right. I was I just spent like the the second or third year of knife fighting, knife training. So I'm watching Denzel and watching certain techniques. Now I'm looking. I can I can look for certain things and say, okay, he did that very well. Oh, nah. I was like, okay, that was a little exaggerated. Okay, that was very Hollywood. Oh, like, oh, damn. Okay, boom. To the point where after watching him in that movie, I can say I said, he had a great consultant. They had a great consultant on set for Equalizer 2 to help Denzel with his knife fighting. I said, because he did so many things correct. So many things were so on point. Just the little nuances, even just like pretty much his stance, even the way he was holding it, even the, the, the targets that he was going for and how he, he approached them. You know, so it just makes it 
it makes the movie a little bit more enjoyable for me when I see these things, you know, because I also feel that it makes it to the common person realize, yeah, it's not as easy as you think. You just can't go out there and trust me. I mean, in the right situation, just about anyone can pick up. If you're in trouble with someone, you have enough time to do so. Just about anyone can pretty much pick up a gun or a knife and put it on target in in certain situations. You know, even, even, the most untrained person can have the dumbest luck when it comes to that. I said, but can you repeat that process consistently over and over again if you were in that situation? You know, and can you deal with the stress factor? I mean, are you physically fit and mentally fit enough if it was more than one assailant coming at you? You know, which you can stay in the mindset and then, again, treat it like we talk about, like what, you know, with kettlebell sport, the way it taught us just pretty much how to consistently lift the kettlebell each time where that first rep and the twentieth rep match each other. That you can consistently right. because you know how you know how that happens by focusing on the fundamentals and the, the the key things that make up whatever that action is that you're doing. Because you've done you've done the fundamentals so many times, you went through the foundation so many times that you don't even necessarily have to think about it anymore. Just like walking, right? For the most, or driving. Right. That's why a lot of times you can get home without even thinking about constantly thinking about how to get back home. You've done it so much, you can almost be on autopilot unless something jumps in front of you and, and messes up the matrix for you. You know, right. so that's how you want to be right. with anything from lifting weights to the way you eat every day to if you if you're going to the range and you're shooting, if you're working on any other thing of self defense, you know, jujitsu, whatever. You've got the foundation down pat before you start adding new things. And most people do just the opposite. They want to add all the fancy stuff without a foundation. And that's where they get in trouble. That's where they get in trouble. Oh, even absolutely. With, yeah. No, even I mean, find even, even, yeah, yeah. Even something, I mean, as simple as, let's say, improving the deadlift, right? It's a basic move. You just hinge, you lift a bar off the ground. It sounds simple enough. But when I look at old footage of me, when I first started concentrating on the deadlift, this is around maybe 2012, I started taking it more seriously. I mean, at the time, I thought I was doing pretty well. But when I look at my, my technique then, now I'm like, God, it looks like shit. <laughs> you know? It's like that there's no, I was like, I'm not using a leg drive. There's so much back effort and so forth. And, right. it, and, and it took years and years and years of refining. And then by around 2016, I thought I, I started feeling like I was getting in a nice groove. You know, now I look at my technique, I'm like, okay, it looks really good now. It can always be improved, though. You know, I'm never someone who thinks that, that you can't improve. You can always improve. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's punching, shooting, something as simple as the deadlift. There's always something that can be yeah. improved there. So I'm constantly analyzing my technique. It's, why, it's one of the reasons why I like to take videos, not just to post them on Instagram for likes. You know, <laughs> it's like, that's okay, Doing it for the gram, Mike. Doing it for yeah. the gram, man. <laughs> But the real benefit is not that. The real benefit is I get to see what I look like when I'm doing something, and I can right. see areas to improve. And I think it's exciting when you can improve something. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. who wants to get to the point where you're so good at something that you don't feel like you can improve anymore? You can always improve. That's the healthy mindset to have. Exactly. I mean, I, I truly, I mean, look at any coach with any team. I mean, after they play the game, take football, for instance. They play the game on Sunday. Pros do. For most of them do. Okay. And then when they're done, even if you've got high school football on a Friday night, once you're done, even if you win that game, what are you doing Monday morning? You're watching video. You're watching the tape. You're watching film. You're looking at the things you did well and the things that you need to do better. Okay. And you're working on those things. So when you look at things you do well, well, the reason why they're doing it, because they want to reinforce that because you might have missed out. You may not have necessarily 
realize what you did well in that moment with that block or, you know, or, you know, or just with that taking that step to the left before you cut to the right and just how your hips move or whatever else. You may not be thinking about that in that moment, but you make a touchdown from that. Then you feel like it may have been a fluke or, hey, it was just a, it was, I had a good block. And then you realize, no, it's because you executed that move correctly, even when others didn't necessarily correct, you know, necessarily execute what they should have been doing in that moment. But yet and still, you made it happen some way. So let's figure out how were you able to successfully, you know, execute that move despite everyone else necessarily, you know, they messed up. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. Let's figure that out. And so everyone's going to learn from this lesson. Someone's going to, everyone's going to get something out of this. The person that made the touchdown, the guy that missed the block and that could have cost the touchdown, all that. And that's the reason why they watch film over and over because that's how you get better because Look, man, we have a lot going on, and there's no way that we can remember every great thing that we did, you know, or or the reason why it was great. We might actually remember the end result, like, man, that worked out, but how? And you've done so many things, I was like, oh, well, it was because of this, and then you go back and look like, oh, I thought it was this, but damn, I didn't even realize I did this this move right here, or I actually took this action right here, or even if you're sitting there just journaling, like I said, even like I said, going back to stocks, if you're not keeping up with every stock. You know, you sitting there one like, oh, man, I hit it big on this one this week. Yeah. OK, why? And then you're like, well, it was just the market. No, the market tanked today. It was it was shit. <laughs> you know, but how did you how is it that you still ended up taking away some great, great profits today? So then you go and look like, oh, well, I've been following this stock for a while. And that's the reason why I picked it and not these other ones that I like. But they didn't they weren't necessarily winning for me. But this one was, you know, like pretty much we go back to that batting average. Like the last 10 times I played this one. You know, four times I, I, did, I profited really well compared to the six times where I lost a little bit. But the four times I made a lot. So and you stick with that one because now, guess what? You've learned how that stock moves and behaves. And you can pretty much, I, I won't say time it, but you pretty much know, almost can read what it's going to do at this point. And the only way you'll know that is if you actually journal your picks. And you, even when you just say, not necessarily that I picked this one today because it cost, you know, this is what I paid for it. This is how many, how many points it moved up and yada, yada. But also, you know, the mood that you were in when you picked it. So did you pick that because, hey, you heard the news about something? You're like, oh, man, this is a good time to get into that. Or did you see other people getting in? He's like, oh, I want to get in on that too because FOMO. I feel like I'm missing out if I don't get in on that. You right. know, or, you know, was it something that you actually saw the fundamentals like, oh, man, they actually have, they just had an earnings call. They have this much profit. They got this much cash on hand. You know, they've reduced their debt and yada, yada. And going forward, this is the guidance they're giving, and this is where they're going next as far as what the company's going to do. Oh, you know, they may not necessarily have big profits next month or whatever, but I can see just from the fundamentals of what they just reported, six months from now, a year from now, this is going to be a fire stock. And, and you act accordingly. Well, the only way you're going to know that stuff, man, is by taking your notes and staying in the game. Or did you take it because you lost so much on it before and that's the reason why you got in because you were pissed off or as they call it revenge trading, which is never good. <laughs> you lose like 3000 It's almost, you can probably equate that to blackjack. You know, oh, you, yeah. that you lose two or $3,000 in, you know, that day in blackjack and then, okay, you, you say, fuck it. I'm calling it a day. I'm going home. Okay. It's Wednesday, but you know, like, I'm going to come back Saturday. I'm going to get my $3,000 back. Now you go in Saturday and that's your mindset to get the 3000 that you lost on Wednesday back. Nine times out of ten, you're probably going to lose about five or six thousand that day because you can't even focus on seeing anything good being, you know, as far as the cards that have been given to you because you're so focused on getting revenge for Wednesday. 
and you can't see anything, but I'm going to get my money back. I want that 3000 And you might end up losing. You lost a chance to win 9000 if you were just focused on today. You know, same thing with relationships. You know, you girl and how good things were the first time in the beginning 10 years ago, but you always forget why you broke up in the first place. <laughs> so, you know, because so, people, again, they don't like pain. Pain, we don't want to be reminded of pain. You know, we want to think, we always want to focus on that that good moment when everything felt great and you felt like you were on top of the world. Okay. But yeah, also think about why you fell off the top of the world <laughs> and, and how did you get there? What was that? And, 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 and I think people have a really uh, self-destructive attitude about certain experiences too, such as the relationship one. Let's say, let's say you're with someone for four or five years and then you guys split up and maybe it's, maybe it's an acrimonious split up too. And then you look at the whole thing of like what a waste of time that five years was. I go, but man, think about how much you learned about yourself, about what you want and what you don't want. Because, I mean, we all have to go through a lot of relationships so that when we finally meet someone who's a really good fit for us, we, we know that because right. we've been through so many that weren't a good fit. You know, right. sometimes someone's a good fit for a while, and then for whatever reason, you guys fall out, and, and maybe they're not a good fit forever. But so then we, you we can recognize it faster. You know, like, oh, I've yeah. been here before. Okay, let's not. Let's but it, not, it, does, let's, it doesn't let's, mean it's a waste. Like you're with, let's say you're with someone for twenty years, and then you guys split. But it doesn't mean that twenty years was a waste. Exactly. I can I can vouch for that. <laughs> it wasn't twenty, but it was nineteen. <laughs> Close enough. But, man, but it wasn't it wasn't a waste though. I mean, hey man, you know, I've have from that relationship I have two beautiful kids and you know, and a lot of experience and I knew exactly, you know, I pretty much know I knew what I wanted after that because it wasn't so much like, oh that that was a horrible relationship. It really wasn't. It's just hey, time time we started wanting different things. And right. we were wise enough to realize that and not be the dead horse and worry about what others would think if we were to no longer be together. And we didn't care about that. I mean, to the point where, you know, once we once we divorced, people were like, wait a minute, what happened? Y'all were the ideal couple, man. Y'all, we, everything was so perfect. We're, every time I saw y'all, y'all were so happy. I'm like, yeah, you saw what you needed to see because it was none right. of your business. You didn't have – it wasn't your business what was going on privately. You know, at this point, and why you, why are you worry about us in the first place? Work on your own stuff. Don't use us for the example. You know, because everyone's different. And I think that's the reason why. You know, the fact that we both owned. You know, we owned what we brought and necessarily neglected in a relationship. And that's the reason. Yeah. Why, and we didn't sit there and stay together to the point where we hated each other. We understood, like, okay, we recognize the issues. This is no longer working. And and also other lives are at stake. We have children too. So, you know, let's put the ego aside and just, hey, let's just wrap this up. It wouldn't, it's not even about the marriage failed. I, now that's another thing. Oh, I failed my marriage because I got a divorce. Did you? Is that a failure? Really? To my, or did you just learn more? Like you said, learn more about yourself because a lot yeah. of times people enter in relationships for the sake of the other person and that's their focus. They don't focus on themselves and what they need to be doing and what needs and also bring in Finding that happiness for themselves. They focus on the happiness of that other person or their children, which is also that be a big mistake when the parents focus more their happiness and attention on their children. Oh, look, man, you can love your kids, but those little fuckers, they are number two in a relationship. Okay. And people need to understand that you need to really the relationship with yourself first and then with your partner. And then here come the kids. You know, it's, yeah. it's really, don't put them first, okay? So my, 
we don't sit there and look at the stars first or what. I mean, it's not the stars that's really doing the most for us out there in the universe. You, you got to look at the sun and the moon. Okay. So you look at it that way if you want to get hokey about it. So even though the sun is a big ass star, but hey, those other stars are not giving us life every day. But so think about that. And I think that's where a lot of people get caught up because once they have children, man, they're like, oh, they go all in with the kids. And that, that's an issue. That's an issue because that's why you end up falling apart. And if you don't have kids, people can be that way with their dogs too and their cats. <laughs> Cause you, I've seen it. So they treat them just like their children. They're like, oh, my dog doesn't, and they, they'll spoil them, but they don't spoil themselves nor their partner. You know, and after a while it gets old, you know. Right. So. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point because that, that happens often too is that a couple has kids and now that becomes the whole priority of the marriage, the relationship, everything's centered around that now. Yeah. And then the two people become distant with each other because it's now it's almost now it's as if you basically Have own a, a company. Yeah, you you own you're a business partner with someone and your job is to raise these kids and that's right. all you're doing. And then right. you're wondering why you're not happy with each other anymore. It's like, well, geez, you gotta you gotta delineate some time to build up your relationship as well, not just focus exactly. on the needs of others. And on top of that, you know, even to the point where even if you realize that there's nothing there for you to, but you say, well, you know, but we're just going to stay together for the kids sake. You think yeah. you're doing the kids a favor yeah. by doing that? <clears throat> because here's the thing. Yeah. To sit there and announce pretty much let the kids know, Hey, we're getting a divorce, but Hey, it's not your fault. And you know, we're, we're not going to love you any less. And we're still going to be both active in your life. Okay. So don't worry about it. Cause a lot of times that's what kids really fear the most. It's not so much that, yeah, trust, kids want their parents to be together, but at the same time, they also realize when you're both miserable and if those kids are mature enough, they realize like, Oh my God, I wish you two would stop hurting each other. And, you know, and, cause that's what they, they don't want you to hurt each other. And they just want to make sure that, Hey, are you still going to be here for me? And that's mainly what they're focused on. And just reassure them of that because at the end of the day, the kids are not stupid. They can sense when you can't stand each other. You know, they know this. And then a lot of times kids feel like it's their responsibility to have to have to even give even more attention to each parent because they already realize how much that parent is miserable in the first place. So it's like, OK, mom is not making you feel any better. She really talks this way to you or dad treats you this way or whatever. So now those kids have spent extra time trying to keep you happy instead of focusing on just being a freaking kid, you know, enjoying their lives while they can before they have to deal with the responsibility of adulthood, you know, and. You're not doing many favors because now all that baggage, those children are going to grow up and take that same baggage with them into their relationships because they're going to think this is normal because they do it. You see it every day at home. So this must this must be the way that it is out there. And then next thing you know, they're bringing all their baggage with them into relationships when they get old enough to have their own. And and they can't figure out why they can't find a good man or keep a good woman or, you know, they keep getting divorced or, you know, it's all these other different things. I'm like, yeah, you could probably figure it out if you actually just sit down and get some therapy and, and realize, oh, my God, I, the the prototype that I was following was flawed, you know. But if, now once you recognize that, now you have to take the responsibility to change because now you can't keep blaming your parents for everything at this point. In fact, you can't even blame them then. They were doing the best they could with what they had. Right. So now it's up to the adult and like and pivot pivot when you recognize the issue you fix it you know you don't sit there if i sit there and see that the faucet is leaking you know i don't you know once i realize like, okay oh the valves were actually tightened up when, when i went over there and i and i turned it i tightened it yet it's still dripping i don't just sit there and walk away like oh oh well 
You know, it's just dripping. And then I realized why the pipes burst. And then I'm pissed off. Like, I can't believe the pipes burst. Now I got to call a plumber. Uh, you could have called that plumber ahead of time or at least check to see what was going on with the pipes because you've been watching the, the pipe. You've been watching the faucet drip nonstop for the last few months. What did you think was going to happen? Yeah. You saw the problem. You did nothing about it. And now you have a bigger problem. It's kind of like we always talk about maintaining your car. You know, don't get all pissed off when, you know, all of a sudden you got a fuel pump blowing or, you know, all of a sudden your car is overheating when you haven't had a tune up in 20 years. Right. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? Right. You know, or when you're sliding off the freeway, you know, when it rains because you haven't changed your tires in the last five years. But you drive back and forth to work every day. You know, I remember <laughs> one time I got, I, I got so many family stories to bring up that this one's applicable here. I remember one time we were in New Zealand, right? So my brother, myself, my father, mother. I think I was a teenager then. So we're in New Zealand and we're driving from one remote area to another and we're getting low on gas. We finally come across a gas station. Now it's pretty late at night and the guy who owns the gas station, he sees an opportunity. So he says, I can turn the pump back on for you, but I'm going to have to charge you. Now I forget what the fee was, but he's like, I'm going to have to charge you a fee to do that. And my dad being the economist and he is, he, economist he is, he said, no, I don't want to pay that fee. That's a ripoff. It's like, yes, it is a ripoff, right? I don't care if it's a hundred dollars. You're here are your options. You either overpay for gas or you're going to run out of gas in the middle of nowhere, right? Those are the two options. Now, it sucks. It sucks that this person has your nuts in a vice grip, but that's just the way it is in this situation. So you're just going to have to deal with it. And then next time around, you don't be stupid. Next time around, you fill up sooner so that we're not in this situation. You learn a lesson. So what does he decide to do? He goes, no, we're just going to keep going. So what happens? We run out of gas in the middle of fucking nowhere. Right? Oh, God. And then he, he has a lot of luck, too, on his side. The first car that drives by, he waves them down. Super nice people drive him all the way to the next fucking town, which is at least 30 miles away, with an empty container to fill up gas. And then they bring him all the way fucking back. And then he's like, see, it all worked out. I was like, oh, oh my God. God, that's what you learned from that? You know, it's like you inconvenienced those. I was like, I hope you paid those people what, what that guy was going to charge at the gas station because right. Jesus, man, that's a lot for a stranger to do for you over a situation that was easily avoidable right. with just a little bit of preemptive measure. <laughs> <laughs> see it all worked out <laughs> yeah 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 exactly but see the thing is he never really learns his lesson because he always locks out you know i've been with him so many times where he run out of gas in the middle of nowhere it's happened at least like five times sometimes it's in montana in the middle i mean nothing there's nothing around and then all of a sudden a car shows up <laughs> and this person just happens to be like yeah sure i'll help you out and i'm like okay this is why you never learned from these mistakes because right. things just Things just work out for you. you know? <laughs> but I mean, it's, 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 imagine you're checking the tire pressure on your car and it's really low, but you decide, ah, I'll, I'll fill it up later. You know, I'll put some air in later, rather. Right. And then you get a flat tire 30 minutes later and you're all pissed off about it. It's later. Like, well, look, man. <laughs> yeah. Look, man, you, you had an opportunity to prevent this from happening or at least right. stack the deck in your favor because you could have ran over a nail or something. It's just, nothing is foolproof. But still, in this particular instance, you saw a problem and you chose to ignore it, and then you're complaining that it became a bigger problem. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then they're all pissed off when they have to call AAA, and AAA tells them, like, oh, you got a two hour waiting period. Damn it. <laughs> I got to wait two hours? Well, dude, two hours ago, you were at a gas station. You could have put air in the tire. Yeah. <laughs> so now this has turned into a four hour problem. 
It could have been easily right. solved, you know, for well, like see, a dollar if you paid out of gas, you know, an air every, machine. Oh, yeah. That's the thing about every small problem is that if you don't address it, eventually it's going to become a big problem, whatever right. it is. Exactly. <laughs> so it's always funny because taking care of it right then seems like such. I mean, trust me, I, I've been there. So don't think that I'm thinking I'm holier than thou. But, you know, in those moments, you're thinking it's such an inconvenience to have to do that right then. But, man, right. there's nothing right. more inconvenient than not taking care of it. And then you wish you had taken care of it. <laughs> and then, like you say, you deal with the bigger problem now. So, yeah, trust me, I didn't want to have to get up last Sunday and go put air in all, all my tires. But the way the weather's been acting here in, in, in Houston the last couple of weeks, one day it's like burning hot. And then it got, like, really cold for no reason. Not really cold, but Houston's version of really cold for November. Right. <laughs> Let's just say it like that. Okay, I, I know there are people in the north. He's like, oh, man, it dropped down to, like, 48, 46. That's not cold, bro. That's that's a that's a warm front where we live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like same thing when people talk about it's a heat wave when it's only 80 degrees in their cities. And I crack up. I said, that's a cold front in Texas. But anyway, <laughs> with all the, the, the rapid temperature changes that we had, of course, it affects your tires or your battery. So, of course, you know, my tires were pretty much they were down or whatever. And then when I got in the truck, the, you know, of course, the little alert comes on. You see it in the, in the dashboard and like, oh, crap. So now it's Sunday, too, because now you got to kind of like, OK, where do I even go at this point? You know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> Sunday evening. You know, luckily, Costco you know, has a little machine that you can do it for free. So, but yeah, the Costco is not exactly right next door like it used to be. But at the same time, I didn't want to have to deal with riding out later that night for whatever reason. Then I run over something because there's always destruction, not construction going on in Houston, you know, and you end up running over a nail or something or you're on the freeway and you have a blowout. So I don't want to take that chance, especially when I have somebody else in the truck with me. And so, yeah, I had to deal with the inconvenience. But the convenience of going to Costco and putting some free air in my tire so I didn't have to worry about any of those inconveniences like, an, I don't know, like a flat or even worse, an accident where someone gets injured. Because that's a big inconvenience, <laughs> you know, sitting there having a blowout on the freeway going 80 miles per hour. You want to talk about inconvenience? Oh, yeah. There you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, if you don't address the issue when it becomes a big problem, it's never going to happen at a time where it's convenient to deal with. <laughs> right. It's going it's to be probably a worst case scenario or it's going to be something where you're going, man, now, now, it's, now you're going to have to waste a lot of time addressing this. And cars breaking down, that's, that's one of the most irritating things to deal with. I remember yeah, one it's time, not even so much about whatever needs to be done to take, you know, to fix it. It's usually just the process. You exactly. know, having to go to yeah. a place and then they say, oh, yeah, okay, we, you know, you're the next one up. And next thing you know, you're thinking next one up means, okay, they'll be taking care of me in five minutes. But then you fill out paperwork and then you got to sit there and go through all this. When was the last time? This is like a, a diagnostic crap. And then they throw in the diagnostics. So now they're, they're looking for other problems so they can make some more money. <laughs> you know, but I'm like, I came in here for a flat, man. It's like, hey, you, you, when's the last time you had an oil change? What does that have to do with my tires? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, they're trying to get their little upsell or whatever. But and then when they finally get around to you, they're taking their sweet time. There, you know, so there you are. You're there for two or three hours just to change a tire, just to right. get a tire replaced. You know, so then the most, the biggest inconvenience, the price. <laughs> now you're looking at that. So, and if, a lot of times, especially if you grew up the way I grew up, you know, 
you don't pay full price for things. So you haggle a little bit, you know, especially if it was one of their tires or, or you get one of theirs. You're like, well, look, man, well, look, well, you get the lifetime of the blah, blah. That's the, re- that justifies why we print, you know, pricing it this. And you're going back and forth with that because you know, in the back of your mind, they're being really sleazy and you know, they're overcharging you, you know, so then there's that whole thing. So that right there, that whole experience is a big freaking inconvenience, but right. some, a lot of times it's necessary. So that's the thing about it. paying taxes is an inconvenience. You know, people can look on the bright side. Well, hey, it helps with schools and roads. I'm like, yeah, in theory, because out of all the taxes I paid, the same roads have the same potholes, and the schools that matter the most in my community are still shitty. Okay, so so uh, yeah, so paying taxes is still inconvenient to me at this point. So, but it, you got to do it if you're gonna live in this country for right now, at least. So, until otherwise, good luck with that. Yeah, and then the key, what the key over there is, you want to do so well with your business that that well, paying yeah. taxes, yeah, exactly, it doesn't even affect anything you want to do. In other words, there aren't things that you can't do now as a result of that. Right. That that you have control over. I'm I'm always focused on what do I have control over because there's and no there point me is. dwelling. Yeah, there's no point me dwelling on things that I don't have control over because I can't do anything about. It. That's why when people always say, you know, if I could go back in time, it's like, well, we can't right now. We can't go back in time. <laughs> Not and yet. Even if even if you could, you'd probably Would go you back want in time. To? And, yeah, you'd probably make <laughs> things worse, man, because you don't know. Sometimes you have to go through certain things to develop in the way you want to, and then you go back and you change one thing and. It's like okay, sure, you got rid of that instance, but now you look at the up some other thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, have you not watched these shows where people have to go back <laughs> in time? They're like, you can't change anything, even though you know what's going to happen. You can't mess this up because it has that has to happen. You know, this this president gets you know he gets killed or whatever, or this election goes this way. You can't change it, man, because you will mess up the whole time space continuum. Everything you'll screw it up. <laughs> like it, no matter how tempting it is, that's why. My thing is like, yeah, when people are like, if there's one thing you could do, like one superpower you could have, like, would you, what about going back in time? Would you love to do that? I mean, yeah, so I could actually visually see that Yakub actually existed and not just read about this crap, <laughs> you know, but I wouldn't sit there and stop him if he did exist from doing what he's, that, what the story says he does, because obviously that had to happen, you know, but other than that, I'm just going there to be an observer because I love history or whatever, but I'm not trying to go and change it necessarily. And of course, someone else was like, what about slavery? I said, obviously it, 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 it had to happen to get us to where we are right now because it would have panned out in another way with probably even far worse results, even though, man, to sit there and try to imagine something far worse than that. But yeah. still, look, this, look at where we are now. Okay. That's what you got to focus on. People always want to go back and change history. I'm like, Oh, I wish I'd never dated that girl. Really? <laughs> really? Because, um, you seem like you were enjoying it at the time. Or at least you were faking it because, I mean, it is what it is. And learn from those experiences, value those experiences because that's what they are. They're experiences. They're not necessarily going to make or break you at that point because that's a choice that you would have to make. Yeah. If you let that defeat you, then that's, that's on you, not on that person that you were with, right. not on that president that was in, you know, that was sitting in the White House, not, no, not that parent that gave birth to you. You're you're a grown ass man, grown ass woman now, and it's really on you. Even if you're a child, a lot of times those decisions are the decisions you make, and you have to live with those consequences. And you know what are you gonna take from it? It's no one else's fault at that point, unless you've been kidnapped, you know, and you you know you've been in a very unsavory situation, like child trafficking or something like that, you know, or someone's intentionally trying to hurt you. 
and whatever without you knowing it was going to happen, then yeah, that's different. But things that you in that moment made a decision to do or not do, that's on you. No right. one else. Stop right. being a victim. You suck at that. Okay, no one cares. No one cares about victims when you when you're a self-proclaimed victim. Okay. So yeah, and, and when you, when you look at all your past tribulations, you look at all your past adversities you had to blast through. I mean, it always led you to a place that was where there weren't where, where the adversity ended and the fun began or the improvements began or the growth right. potential came into place. So you have to go through that adversity. I mean, my my brother always makes a joke about me. He goes, he goes, man, you know, if, if you didn't meet your your ex-wife Sandra, you wouldn't have had your roommate BT, and then if you didn't meet him, you wouldn't have met Carol, right? And now, right. Roger, right, Carol's in the room, and Roger's bringing this up, and she's like, "Yeah, and I'm worth meeting." You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, that was such a Carol thing to say. <laughs> so no, no. So if I go back in time, and I don't, and I, and I don't get into a relationship with my ex, then all the things that were positive that came after will never materialize. You know, exactly. the, that, it, that's the way it had to go down. Yeah, yeah. that's just the, it's just the way it had to go down. Exactly. And I think if people actually sit down and take an assessment of things that are going on and before they just kind of hit that default, oh, this is happening to me, you know, you actually assess it like, okay, why is this happening for me? <laughs> okay, and what am I going to do with this now? Now that I understand, you know, why I am where I am right now. Now, because that's all you have now. What's your next choice? What's your next step? Right. You can't get that. You can't get that other stuff. Even if you just won the freaking lotto, you know, or you actually your it just hit seven figures this year. Yeah, don't sit there and rest on your your, your laurels and you're like, yeah, I've made it. Like, okay, what's next? Usually, if you're truly in the moment, that does nothing for you. So my anytime I do well. Like on a stock day trading or whatever, dude. It's like, eh. It was like, okay, okay. Now, how can I get better? <laughs> you know, how can I get better? What can I learn from this from this win? You know, some. In fact, it's the losses that really kind of get me giddy because it's like a challenge. Like, oh, I'm not done yet. You can't just get me with that. It's like, okay, I'm I'm gonna work on this and make sure that I don't feel this or see this again at that point. Just like same thing if you're truly into being healthy instead of just being a certain weight or just necessarily being able to just pick up a weight. When you actually have that goal in mind, once you achieve that goal, you're going to really assess the process so you can either replicate that goal or make you know, improve upon it. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck and you're going to be in quote unquote maintenance mode. Maintenance is no there's no such thing as maintenance. Right. Something is either improving or depleting every day. One way or the other it is not just staying still. Even a dead person is not just is not just dead. You know, they're disintegrating. Yeah, their body is disintegrating as you speak and it's becoming something else. So it's not just stagnant and just done. It's not a wrap after that. Energy doesn't work that way. <laughs> like, yeah, the, 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 the illusion of maintenance is that it actually works <laughs> and it does it because because look a lot of times when you're trying to improve things i mean you're pushing the limits to try to improve things the default is that it actually maintains things and if things are good that's not bad because maintaining a good situation is that's a success too but you actually have to try to improve it just to maintain it and if you're right. just thinking okay let me just maintain this whatever it is whether it's training physical training whether it's your business 
personal life. I don't care what it is. You're just you're just dialing it in. You're just phoning it in. You're not going to maintain. It's it's, it's going to get worse over time, and then it's going to get to the point where it's unrecognizable. Five <laughs> years go by, you're like, holy shit! You know, look how far this has fallen. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, and then who gets excited about maintenance either? Is that exciting? It's not well, motivating gonna, at all. Like, what, what's your goal like, at the gym? It's like, well, my goal is just to show up and. You know, that's putting a little bit of time. It's like, no, that, that's not going to get me excited to go. Right. You know, look, a lot of times I'm not excited to go even when I do have a goal I'm working on, right? <laughs> but I, but I still do it because I'm committed to the process because I have a goal I'm pursuing. I'm like, well, you know what? You don't feel like doing it? Fuck it. Let's go do it anyway because you need to put in the practice to hit these numbers you want to hit. Now, right. imagine if you don't even have that. Imagine if your, if your goal is just to maintain and you don't feel like going in, it's going to be easy to be like, well, you know what? My goal is to maintain. So I could just skip a couple days and I can still maintain. And then a couple days becomes three months. And you right. have, you know, all you've been doing is binge watching Netflix for three months. It's like during the pandemic. During the pandemic, it was a, every excuse people had for not exercising was now gone, right? You got all the time in the fucking world. We're all stuck at home. Now, <clears throat> what you choose to do at that time is completely on you. But very few people actually chose to take charge of their health during that time. I can tell you well, that. Obviously, I mean, yeah. those underlying conditions hit certain ways, man, when you're not, <laughs> when you're not making changes. I mean, no, obesity you, know, people, you, can't put, you can't put all the blame, you know, for people that got sick on COVID. COVID just, it just pretty much was the straw that broke the camel's back. It, it came in and saw like, oh my God, look at this unhealthy individual. I, I love it here. Let me do my thing. Now it came to healthy people. It's kind of like, oh, okay, I'm having a hard time trying to take this person out. In fact, okay, well, here you go. Here's some antibodies. Keep it moving. You're good. And I'll find someone that's, uh, that's unhealthy. You know, and this thing is, there are some people, they have conditions where it made them pretty much right for the picking when it came down to COVID. You know, they just it might be poverty is going on and all, all types of other external conditions are going on. You know, so that's what you see in a lot of the underserved areas, you know, in communities in our country and, and around the world. You know, but there are some who pretty much they were very well to do and could have been doing. They had all the resources to do better and live better ahead of COVID. Okay. And they didn't necessarily have to put themselves in a situation like that, but you know, once it happened, once if they got it, it was a wake up call. If they survived it. If they didn't get it, you know, hopefully it was enough to wake them like, Oh man. Okay. Even though it wasn't really pushed, you know, on a national scale and through the media. But most people, when they realize, like, you know, if I change my diet, cut back on drinking, smoking, actually do some, get more active each day and, and start incorporating such things as like more zinc, more vitamin D, more vitamin C, more B vitamins in my, in my diet, you know, supplement with that on a daily basis and change my gut health and, you know, main, to my maintain stress in my life and just all these different things that you can do a lot of times for free. You know, right. but again, if a lot of times those resources and those things weren't pushed. But at the same time, for a lot of people in the Western world, with all of the advances and all the resources we have available to us, no matter what your economic status is, a lot of times for a lot of folks, those resources were in reach. This information was in reach. And this information was already in reach before there was a COVID. But a lot of people didn't do a lot of things to work on those things. Because they got comfortable and you got this kind of gets thrown to a trap. A lot of us do. You, it, it just becomes the point like oh, you, mentally you're not motivated because so many other things are also coming into play. But there, like I said, there's there's a group of folks out there that just they didn't want to change because they felt invincible. 
And so we're not talking about everyone. There is a group of folks in our, in our world that feel like, ah, that's all right. I'll keep eating the way I want to. I ain't worrying about this, blah, blah. It won't happen to me. Okay. So, and it's just like, there are some folks who think like, oh, I, I stay on top of everything. I take care of myself, blah, blah, blah. And it happened to them too, which should awaken all the, the boastful people that always felt like, you know, they'll, they're just going to keep smoking and drinking every day or whatever, because yada, yada, yada. It hasn't killed me yet. Problem is you always say yet. <laughs> it's like, you're, you're pretty much you're like, Hey, kill me eventually. Just not right now. Okay. But like I said, even the healthiest person is going through it. That should be a wake up call to folks. So it's just like, all right, what makes you feel like you're so freaking lucky? Well, the problem is that goes to show you, you can do all that health stuff and it won't, it won't even matter. So might as well keep doing what you're doing. Well, right. my thing, can you can can you quit? If that's your attitude, can you stop eating up all the resources, the limited resources on this earth and just get yourself out of the equation? Cause you don't <laughs> care, you know, cause I don't want to have to pay taxes for your health care and you don't care about, you know, your, your health. And that's usually what ends up happening to so many people minus pre COVID, you know, pre COVID, you know, people just didn't care who could actually be in a position who were actually in a position to make changes and like, eh, whatever to my, I, I got, ins- I mean, I have this, this free insurance or whatever else. I'm not worrying about it. It's not free. It's costing people. It's costing people. And eventually it's going to trickle down to you. It's not going to be free for you for long. You're going to pay in some fashion, whether it's through money or through your health. Because, and also look at the people around you. Look at what it's costing them. You know, I mean, it sucks to have to deal with the loss of a loved one. It sucks even more when their death could, I mean, they could have done better with their health. And now this family has to pay all, take care of all the debt and also the debt of just burying you for some things right. that you could have just worked on. It's very, it can be, it's very selfish when you think about it. If you can actually, you're in a position to make that change and you say, ah, I'm not going to do it anyway. Well, dude, like, well, at least get away from all the other people in your life if you're going to do that and not put them through that, that, that kind of a turmoil. You know, really think about that. Realize, yeah, I always make this example. Each and every one of us is like a cell in the body. Every cell in your body has its own individual responsibility as that cell. But it's also responsible for the rest of your body, too. And to to work, do its part, and then work with those other cells to make sure that you're healthy. All it takes is for one rogue cell to screw it up for everybody. You know, so so if your cells have that same attitude or whatever, you're going to be sick and you're going to die. So the best thing to do is to make sure that that cell, each each one of your cells is getting what it needs to help help you keep moving around as, as healthy as possible, you know, especially internally things that you can control. Now there's outside forces you have really no control over sometimes because of economics, location, whatever. But again, do the best. My, my opinion is, you know, do the best you can for yourself with your, with the resources that you do have. And if you're sitting and listening to this show, you already have the resource, one of the resources necessary. You have a computer or a phone. So that means you have access to other information other than this podcast. So you really have no excuse. Now, if you're sitting over in the Congo, you know, you're probably not listening to this show. <laughs> and you've got other things to worry about because the Congo is pretty wild. There's a reason why this show is not being broadcast in the Congo, you know, because of, because of, because of Things outside of the control of the Congolese people, you know, and their their corrupt government, you right. know. So that's a totally different conversation that they're not they're not hearing right now on this show, <laughs> and for certain reasons, why? But yeah, I feel like the rest of us, yeah, at this point, we can we can make the cha- changes that we want to make, but when we don't make the changes that improve our lives, 
you know, even though we know that they will help choose, our, you know, improve our lives, then don't play the victim when things go the opposite direction. That's all this to just own it. Just own it. It's like, you know what? I could have done better, but here I am. <laughs> I'm sitting here on diabetes medication. I know I could have made better food choices. I had the money. I had the resources, but I just love the way so-and-so tastes. <laughs> so I just couldn't, man. So I mean, I mean, so many people are, they're, they're the equivalent of they're driving towards a wall at full speed. Now, you have opportunities to veer to the left or right and avoid hitting this wall. Let's say it's just a piece of a wall. And, but you decide, no, nah, I'm just going to keep going and see what happens. It's like, well, <laughs> what's going to happen is you're going to collide. <laughs> and you're going to total your car. Potentially, you're going to kill yourself. Right. And you could have avoided that whole situation. Like, why didn't you turn? Because, man, I just, I really wanted to knock, I want to take that wall out. I, I feel like I could have done that. <laughs> like, dude, it's a wall. What is wrong with you? <laughs> because that's what it comes down to, because you feel invincible. You feel like, uh, I'm going to I'm going to be OK no matter what, you know. So are even if you survive that hitting that wall, are you really OK <laughs> at that point? I just on the topic of junk food. My brother made a really funny joke about how if sugar and junk food were banned, right, all the people that were protesting civil rights and so forth would now be at the grocery store, you know, demanding <laughs> to get all their sugar bags. Like, no, you're right. not taking away my Kool-Aid. You're not taking away right. my ice cream. Like, like, candy bars matter. You know, <laughs> you, like, you want to talk about people. You want to talk about organized. Watch no, how fast I, people get organized. Oh, you're being nice. Happens. You're being nice. You're saying organized. <laughs> like, no, you want to talk about blood in the streets. I'm like, come on, man. You want to talk about rioting? People would advantage. lose their shit, man. man they would they fucking go crazy. you got to understand how sugar, especially the type of sugar that's being used in most of this stuff, and the salt and the MSG or right. whatever, you got to understand these are not seasonings or anything, the preservatives or whatever. What these are are straight-up drugs. They are triggering the same parts of the brain that Coke, heroin, mushrooms, whatever. You know, I wouldn't give it to mushrooms. Mushrooms are probably a lot better. You know, but let's just say LSD, whatever, dude. It's like anything that's triggered those parts of the brain, these chemicals that are being used in food are triggering the same spots. For They're being designed that way. They know that. They, these scientists know, like, hey, if this this is what cocaine does. This is what ecstasy triggers the, the brain and makes people behave and makes it gets them hooked and addicted where they want more and more. So let's create this additive to this food that's going to do the same thing and keep these people coming back and back and back till they feel like they can't, they can't motive. They can't move each day without it. They have to have it at this point. So that's, what's going to happen because what's going to happen if you take that away, well, you're basically trying to get someone to detox cold Turkey off this drug. They've been addicted to some of them had, didn't even have a choice to be addicted because they were fed this same chemical in the womb while they, you know, while their mother carried them. So the equivalent of being born a crack baby, you know, it's just like it's not the child's fault that they're addicted to crack when they were already being fed crack as they were developing in the womb. So what, what do you expect from them once they come out into the world? What do you expect from them at that point? So same thing with this food, because food now, well, what's called food is a drug. It's another four letter word. You know, it's a drug and it's being marketed as food and something that's necessary. That you have to have in order to survive. Yeah, food in theory, yes, but this stuff is not food. You don't need this to survive. In fact, it's actually speeding you toward the, 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 just the opposite of survival. Okay, so something's shutting off and dying 
each and every day that you're consuming this, especially consistently. So yeah, man, they, people would lose their shit because like, it's just like going into like, I don't know, a crack house and then just like, all right, there's no more crack today. That's it. And you're all locked in this house. So you can't go out and find some more crack. Man, they'll, they'll burn that shit from the inside out. <laughs> It'll be like the walking dead. They'll start chewing through the wood and whatever else just to get out of there so they can go get some more crack, dude. So, so <laughs> and then eventually they'll probably just start attacking each other. They're like, oh, you like, you got some crack residue on your face. And then next thing they're trying to bite off the face just so they can get a hit. You know, because that's what happens when you're addicted, man. You start seeing things that aren't there in order to, tr- all you want to know is like, all you know is I have to feed this addiction. So I'll do right. whatever it takes and, and consume whatever possible to get something to feed this addiction. So that's, well, that's I wouldn't the thing even about it. That. That's the thing about addiction. And, and most of us are wired for addiction. It's part of our DNA. It's part of our physiology. Some way more so than others. Some of, some of us have a really addictive personality. Others have, right. they have an addictive personality, but it's not overwhelmingly addictive. Right. But the thing is, when, when you have an addiction for something, people don't understand that you develop this tunnel vision where nothing else exists except you and getting whatever it is to feed that right. addiction. Yeah. And that, I mean, imagine if you had that kind of focus for something that's actually beneficial for you. Yeah. You know, and that's where you can you can take that energy and steer it in a different way because you can't get rid of it. If you have if you're really a, if you have a really strong addictive personality, that's not going anywhere. You, know, you have to learn to live with that. But you can point it in a different direction that's actually useful for you. Yep, use it to your advantage. You know, straight up. So, I mean, whatever it is, like some people go and look. I don't want to work too hard. I don't. I, I want to be able to relax a lot. It's like okay, fine. But you're going to have to work way harder than you would like to for a certain period of time yeah. doing something to develop an income that allows you to do that for the rest of your life. Now, the, what, what, what a lot of people don't realize is, is like, man, five, six years of concerted effort can set you up for the rest of your life. And I don't mean that you never have to work again. I just mean that you've developed so much momentum and savings and financial power that now you can pull back the reins and you can own each day. You know, like right now, when I was working really hard in my business, I love, I mean, I loved what I was doing then. I love what I'm doing now, but I always knew that this grind that I'm going through right now, it's not sustainable. And even if it were, I don't want it to be sustainable. You know, I want to be able to pull the reins back down the line, but I'm not thinking like that right now. Next four or five years, I'm completely committed seven days a week, make this thing happen. But then you get to a point where you go, okay, I've developed an income that is more than enough for what my desires are. Now I can pull back the reins and I can decide which projects I want to pursue, which ones I want to avoid. I don't just have to take everything that's thrown at me. And then you now you get to the point where you're owning your days, where you wake up and you decide what you're going to right. do that day. And everyone wants that, whether they want to admit it or not. Everybody wants that. They just don't believe it's possible most of the time, so they don't pursue it. But nobody wants to do a job that's boring as hell and unfulfilling. Sometimes people end up doing that, and they don't see a way out of it. But right. if if you could see a way out of it where you put in a certain amount of time on something that you enjoy doing, ideally, but even something if you don't enjoy doing it, it's just something that you can build up, then you can steer your life in another direction that is way more exciting. Like you never want to go back. When I think about my mentality when I was just a nine to five guy, I'm just putting in time and 
God, it was so depressing, man. It was just, it was, it wasn't exciting at all. You, you, you didn't feel fulfilled. I remember I used to just feel tired all the time for no reason. I was like, I don't know why I'm tired all the time. I'm eating well. I'm getting good sleep, but you, you just didn't have any excitement about what you were doing. So it's, it's a, there was, there was nowhere to go with it. There was nowhere positive to go with it. Right. Exactly. So, you know, I, I think, man, like a lot of stuff we talked about today, I think it's very relevant. That's why we're putting this episode out this week, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> I, you know, as we go through a very uncertain week as far as, you know, events that are going on right now, you know, because, um, hey, again, there's a lot of things in play that are out of our control. And it's going to leave a lot of people just kind of wondering, like, what's next, even when you feel like you think you know what's next. You know, something can, a curveball can be thrown and you're swinging that bat and you realize like, oh, that was strike three, <laughs> you know, and like, wait a minute, what? I, th- I, th- I thought I had at least a couple more pitches to go. And so, and a lot of folks are just focusing on that and not thinking like about what's next. So my thing is consider if things, the things that you're hoping for don't work out the way you hope they will. What are you going to do? Think about that now, right now. Right now, not when it happens, because that's the wrong time to be thinking, what are you going to do? <laughs> you're, you're already playing behind the eight ball on that one, you know, or also think about this. What if the things that you're hoping for that are going, especially going on with today's events, what if they actually go the way that you want them to go? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And again, don't start thinking at that time when it happens. But what you're going to do, start thinking ahead, get ahead of all of this. And guess what? No matter what is happening, when you see it, as far as the news or, or people saying anything or, you know, the information is coming to you, you you're going to be good because you're already it's like a chess game. You're already so you you have so many moves ahead of all the stuff that's going on around you that what's going on around you is just stuff that's just going on around you, if that makes sense. It yeah. has nothing to do with yeah. you because you're not even you're not even in this with everyone else you know you're good you're good so it's kind of like the person that drives around with no car insurance they're hoping and praying they don't hit anyone or they don't want it they they're hoping they don't get hit you know it it doesn't matter whether it's their fault or not they don't want to be in an accident whereas you've got full coverage you can just drive and get on with your life you know you you got you know you have just a little bit of that that peace of mind knowing that okay i don't want to get in an accident but if it happens, the insurance company will take care of it. That's what I pay for it for. Hey, same thing about me in the world of firearms. Look, I have a firearm on me at all times. I don't ever, 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 ever want to use that against another living being. I don't care whether it's an animal or a human. I don't want to use it for that. I only want to use it to go shoot cardboard and paper targets. That's it. That's it. And and at the price of ammo today, I want to do that sparingly <laughs> because ammo is not cheap and not easy to find. You know, so therefore, I don't want any criminals doing any criminal acts upon me and mine because I don't want to waste my ammo on you, dude. I don't want to take your life and I don't want to have to waste ammo on you <laughs> because you made a choice that you didn't have to make to try to victimize me. And I'm not going to be a victim. So. But one thing about it, I carry this firearm because it gives me a little peace of mind. Now, and I say a little peace of mind because, hey, just like that insurance, like just because I have a firearm doesn't mean I'm good. I still have to have the skills, you know, and I also have to have the, the attitude to have to, to know 
how and when to use it when necessary. Same thing with having insurance. I still need to be the best driver I can be to not go out there and cause accidents. Right. Okay. I'm still, I still have my responsibility. So having that insurance doesn't just give me carte blanche just to go out there and try to act like I'm Vin Diesel and this is fast and furious. You know, I still have to be a responsible driver out there. Just like I have to be a responsible human being that just happens to have this polymer and metal that could end help end a human's life. So I need to be very particular about the situations I put myself into. I'm not going to sit around and go through, you know, the most unsavory neighborhood or I'm going around giving people dirty looks or doing all these things that could cause yeah. a reaction that could start a situation where I would have, I would have, I would have to use that firearm. No, I pick and choose where I go. And, and, and I'm you no know, very good about that because I look at, I'm ahead of the game. Even when I'm on the, on the road and someone's driving crazy and they're cutting people off and then they cut me off or whatever. And they're blowing their horn. They're flipping the bird and they're having a bad day or whatever. You know, I don't sit there and re- I don't react back to that. I just look at them. I smile and I keep, I wave at them like, Hey, okay, you got it. Go ahead. You're good. Because that person doesn't know, like I'm in a position where I could end their life by doing, by being stupid. And at the same time, they might be in a position to end mine by being stupid. So one of us has to be the, the, the adult here. So I'll, I, hey, fine, I'll, I, I'll play, I'll play the game with you. Hey, you know what? Have at it, because guess what? I've structured my life to where I'm not late for work. You know, I, I can go to wherever I want to be when I feel like getting there. I'm so I haven't put myself in a position. I'm running late, and I got to take it out on other people because I was not on time and didn't allow myself enough time to be somewhere. So now I got to drive all erratic to try to make, first of all, time is a concept in itself. So that being said, I was like, okay, look, I'm going to let you make it, bro. <laughs> I'm not going to be stupid. I'm not going to play this stupid game with you. I'm going to let you be the best at being stupid. You're going to be the king today. You get the stupid championship of the day. You're going to go unchallenged. You won that one. And I'm just going to go about my day because guess what? I'm not even think twice about it. So why even incite road rage and cause put everybody in a situation where it can escalate? Someone has to learn how to de-escalate. That comes from protecting yourself on the streets, in your business, in relationship. Sometimes you really have to be the one that has to de-escalate so things don't get out of hand, especially when you know where things can go, no matter what. So, yeah, that's what I'd say about that. No, it's definitely true. And so, sometimes we we create situations inadvertently where things do escalate and they could have been easily avoided. I mean, it's the road rage story is funny because it reminds me of my brother one time he was driving with my mom and this guy cut him off and then gave Roger the bird and Roger got so mad. <laughs> And he drove up to catch up with this guy. And my mom's like, don't give him the finger. There's a kid in the car. You know? And Roger rolls down the window. He sticks out double fingers. Like, fuck you, It's all Stone Cold Steve Austin now. Yeah. And then he drives off. And he's like, look, Mom, you know, that guy That guy felt good about giving me the purse. And now I gave it to him back. Now we can both feel good about it, okay? You know, I told He told me to fuck up. I told him to fuck up. Now we can get on with our day. Now, obviously, a situation like that can escalate into something way more dramatic than that. So I'm not recommending it. Though. You brought up the point. So sometimes you just have to – sometimes in life you got to eat crow a little bit. You just got to accept you – you, you can't worry about having to assert yourself because your ego has been attacked at every single right. time it happens. That's really what gets a lot of us in trouble. It's like, man, I'm not going to let that guy disrespect me. And look, there's a time where you should respond like that. No doubt about it. But there's, there's plenty of times where you want to do it. I mean, you're like, oh man, I could, I, I, you just want to react that way. 
but you cast yourself, check yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it just comes out. You know, it happens to me sometimes. Sometimes things just come out. And that's, I'm not saying that's, that's good or bad. I'm saying that I need to be better at that. Yeah. Most of the time, yeah. Most of the time it's, you know, I'm pretty well calibrated. I'm controlled. I can, I can maneuver through scenarios. But sometimes someone comes at you in a certain way and you, you just, you just automatically react, you know, in a certain way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Something like at the end of the day, so my ego, yeah, ego is the enemy, but it also can be your ally as well, you know, because there are certain situations where, okay, I'm going to do my part to to better this situation, you know. So let's just say we always talk about it, you know, look, man, child trafficking sucks. Sex trafficking sucks, you know, and guess what? I, I, I'm not going to sit around and do nothing about that. I'm going to do my I'm going to I'm going to give money to Project Child Save so they can go in and take these fools out. So I don't have to, you know, but right. they need to be taken out. That's my ego talking, but at the same time, that's the humanitarian side of me talking as well. Yeah. Because I'm getting yeah. something out of this. I'm being selfish and selfless at the same time. And that's the time when and my, my ego tells me, you know what? These, these criminals, these miscreants or whatever, dude, first of all, they're beneath me and they don't deserve to, to walk this earth when they're harming innocent people like this. That's my ego talking. Because it's kind of elevated me to feel like I'm better than them. Damn it. In my mind, I am better than them because I'm not purposely going out and doing that. So and, and those people need to be stopped. And so I'm feeling like, OK, I'm doing my part. Like, well, it's it's up to me because it really does come down to the individual. It's up to me to do my part to make sure that organizations like Project Child Save go in and eradicate this problem because no one else is doing it. Yeah, that's right. my ego talk. That's some big, bold stuff being put out there in the universe. But you know what? That's when I can I can rock with my ego when it's thinking like that. I'm like, you know what? You got a point. I dig it, you know? But it's not going to be like, uh, but when my ego's like, oh, that dude looked to be funny. Sincere, go punch him in his face. Right. <laughs> then I'm looking like, hey, shut the hell up. <laughs> it's like, so what? It's not my problem. Maybe it's, that's just his face. So that's a problem he needs to take up with his parents. <laughs> that's his DNA. That has nothing to do with us. <laughs> so, So, yeah, man. So, like I said, sometimes your ego can really be your amigo. <laughs> but oh, yeah, no doubt about but it. But a lot of times, it's usually not. <laughs> okay, I mean, so, I mean in, in Sufi philosophy, it's the goal is never to eradicate the ego. The goal is to tame the ego. Exactly. And they use the analogy of a rider and a horse carriage. So you have the rider, you have the carriage, you have the horse. Now, the horse represents the ego. So you have to direct that horse in the right direction as the rider. Yeah. And that's the key there, too, is that, like, like I said about addictive personality, you just redirect that to something that's actually beneficial to you. People do it all the time. I've done it. You've done it. A lot of us have done that. Yeah. And same thing with your ego. Is the goal is not to be like, okay, I don't want to be egotistical anymore. It's like, no, you can be egotistical about things that actually are very beneficial for you, your family, and for others. You just right. steer it in that direction. So now the goal is, instead of, I want to make $10,000 so I can go buy an expensive watch, and show people how wealthy I am, you could say, I want to make $10,000 so I can donate all of it to Project Child Safe and help them save potentially 100 kids. Yeah. Now, that's still, and both of them are ego-driven goals, right? It's like you're saying, I want to do this for this outcome. But one of them has a very beneficial outcome for the lives of others, right? while one doesn't. Exactly. So you just have to decide which one's important to you. And honestly, just, just materialism, I'm not saying that, you know, look, I'm not saying I don't like nice things. I like living in a nice house. I like having a nice car. I like having 
just certain luxuries in life, no doubt about it. But I'm also someone that realizes that going beyond certain things is really not going to improve my happiness anymore. So if I own one nice house, that's great. Now, if I own three more that I'm not renting out, right, I just have them for luxury purposes. I mean, you can only be at one house at a time. But guess what? You can only be at one house at a time, but you're asking get property taxes from all three houses at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You're just creating complexity for no reason. It's like just do an Airbnb every time you go to that place. Exactly. Right? You don't have to own a you don't have to own a property there, especially if you're going once a year or something. Or you go right. every three years. So like, why do you own a, a condo in San Diego when you go once every three years? You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. So I mean, that when people say you like money doesn't make you happy, you know that's not true either. Because I can tell you what I've I've been through periods in life where I, I'm financially weak, and I, I I wouldn't necessarily say I was unhappy because I was happy about what I was doing, but it was a stress. No doubt about it. It was a stress that was on your mind all the time. So then you accumulate a certain level of wealth, and that stress is gone now. Like when the pandemic happened, I wasn't worried about a fucking thing. Even if the business went to zero, I was like, no, we got plenty in savings. We'll ride through this however long it takes, right? right. And that's that's a nice level of certainty. So your your level of happiness is going to be a lot higher than someone going, well, shit, man, we were barely making it before this, and now what are we going to do? That's right. stressful. I don't care who you are. Yeah, exactly. And another thing, I mean, yeah, this is an ego thing, but it's also, like I said, it's selfish and selfless at the same time. By being responsible financially and being, you know, it, finding the right opportunity to put myself and my wife put ourselves in positions to be responsible with the money, that the income that we have, puts me also in a position that when I come across people, I feel like, okay, these people, are going, this person is going through it right now through this pandemic. What can I do to help? You know, I can I can just cash out them, you know, and not expect anything. I don't, need, I don't sit there and say, put my name on, the, you know, on social media. Oh, thanks. No, 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 no. It's not what I'm doing this for. You know, you know, sometimes a lot of times I make donations anonymously. I don't want to be known. I don't care. You know, even though I know the person on the other side knows or whatever, but I don't need to be posted up on the page or whatever else. Sometimes I want my name to be shown because I actually want to lead the way. If it's for certain things or whatever, I want to show people like I'm sure. walking, like I talk it as well. I want to motivate them like, hey, you know, give what you can or better yet, if you can match what I'm doing, cool. It's helping these folks out. And guess what? Who We all win. We're all going to feel good right. about this. You know, right. but like I said, I like the fact that being responsible and setting my, setting my life up a certain way and having a certain lifestyle is a benefit not just to me, but it's also a benefit to others out there who, A, are not in that position. You know, B, maybe they're aspiring to be in that position. They need to see that it's possible with someone that looks like them. Right. Okay? And so right. Th those are the things that go through my mind. So it gives me a purpose to do all this. So like you just saying, like, I'm not here to just sit here and see how many things I can buy just to show, like, look at me. Look how successful I am with all this unnecessary shit that I have. Okay. Right. You know, that's not success. In fact, that shows that that doesn't show wealth. That shows that I have even less than the average person that doesn't even have an income anywhere near what I may have. Okay. It shows because I'm still holding on to a scarcity mindset. Whereas this person is trying to make sure that scarcity is not something they have to deal with, you know, or they're trying to eradicate it as much as possible, you know? So I'm like, I don't have to have all these things, but you know, one thing I do truly enjoy is sharing happiness with folks, you know, and, or better yet relief. 
you know, sometimes you don't even necessarily have to be happy, but just relieved, like, whew, at least I can get through one more week when I have to worry about my lights being turned off or that my kids are going to be hungry because this person was kind enough to either give us some food, you know, from their restaurant or, you know, they would, they, they gave me 20 bucks or they paid for my groceries. And, and I didn't even know they were going to do that. And by the time they got rung up, you're gone. So therefore, they, you know, therefore they don't have to sit there and be like, oh, feel embarrassed or whatever else. It's just like, hey, it is what it is. And now you're gone because, and you left thinking, you know, knowing like, okay, I hope not so much like, yeah, I looked out for them and bought their groceries. No, I'm thinking like, man, I really hope that was enough to get them through this week. But that's all I can do is, you know, it's just hope for the best. And, you know, I did, you know, I, I hope that I did my part to help at least try to give that person at least a moment of relief, you know, and show them that, hey, the, the world doesn't suck as bad as it feels right now. There's still some good folks out there looking out for folks trying to do, and understand that you're trying to do your best and no one's trying to shame you, blame you, you know, or sit there and ignore you. You, you know, I see you. I see you. You know, no matter what we're all going through, we all we're all going to go through some shit and go hope that someone sees us. And when I say that, I don't mean look at us, but actually see us. And they're empathetic and really understand what's going on. Yeah, it's so important. Everybody needs that. Everybody needs to feel that they matter to someone, (laughs) that their life matters, that their pain matters, that their burdens matter, that people actually care. And it's I mean, the happiest people I know are the ones who care a lot about other people. Just oh, genuinely, yeah. just genuinely care a lot. A good friend of mine in the neighborhood is, I walk with them most days when we walk our dogs, older gentleman, my friend Alan. He's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. And it's not fake. You know, it's not right. fake at all. He's just a genuinely nice person. He's the guy that offers to drive people to the airports that he barely knows. You know, <laughs> right. and that's a big ask, honestly, because nobody likes going to the fucking airport. Right? It's a big <laughs> right. ask. You know, it's so, me. It's like, me. Well, I'm nobody. Yes. Well, when I, my hand is when up I, right now. No, yeah. When I, when I come to pick you up at the airport, you know that you're a good friend of mine. Right. Exactly. Most people, I'm like, yeah, man, you know, uh, you just go over to this part of the airport. That's where the, Lyft. that's where the that's where Uber is. Will be. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, let me know when you get settled in your hotel. Right. right. You know? Like, I don't even, I don't even put it out there. But if, it, if it's a friend of mine, I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to come pick you up. So I want you to, this is, you're in my town. I want you to feel that, uh, someone actually cares about you, the fact that you're in my town. <laughs> but, uh, but he's a happy guy. This guy, Alan's in his 80s, and he's not a grumpy man at all. He's got a really good attitude, and he's a very friendly guy. But it, it's all genuine. So, I mean, uh, a lot of people his age, they're, sometimes they're bitter, and they're like, oh, you know, life is so tough in this. But you know, he's, he's a good example of, of aging gracefully, for sure. Right. Yep. And to my, honestly, I mean, man, why would, why would we not want to aspire to be that way? I don't want to be the grumpy old man. Okay. Like, no, I don't want to. I want to be that dude who's just really enjoying his life. He's like, look, man, I, I've, I've worked hard and put things into play years and decades ago so I could be here in this moment where I'm chilling, you know, when I'm at that age. And guess what? The thing about me, I'm not waiting to be 65 or 80 to, to say what I just said. I'm doing right. it now. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. But I'm like, I don't want to wait that long. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'm like, let me put myself in a position where I can kind of, kind of expedite this process, you know? So, yeah. And so therefore, by the time, if I do make it to that other age, it'll be to a whole other level that I probably couldn't even imagine here at 48, you know, like, Oh man, I would never imagine being like, I mean, I had a vision of what I wanted, but man, 
this is for this kind of exceeded my expectations. So that's yeah. kind of where I want I want things to go. But I don't want to just sit there and wait because they say, you know, and now you get to retire when you're 65. Like, look, man, I've been in many retirement for at least five to ten <laughs> years now. Yeah, okay? yeah. <laughs> you know? oh, absolutely. So I'm like, I don't want to wait. And again, it's not about, well, everybody's not in that position. I'm just like, yeah, I, I understand that. And so and that's one of the things I realized years, if not decades ago, that not everyone's in that position. But I'll ask myself, but why not me? But I want to be in that position. So let me start working on these things now so I can be in that position. Right. So, you right. Know? Well, so. that's what I mean. I remember I was talking to my mom and like there's like one of the last conversations I had with her. And she was telling me how she never expected me to be so driven and, perp and, and just working so hard on your own thing and so forth. Not that she expected me to be some loser. She just was surprised how much intensity I bring to this. And I go, look, you got to remember, I go, remember when I was back at the house after graduating college and I was just reading every book on success I could get my hands on. I'm reading Think and Grow Rich. I'm reading business books. I'm reading philosophy books. I'm reading marketing books, yeah. whatever it was, changing your mental approach, all of those things. I go, all of that was just feeding my brain with the knowledge I need to get to where I want to go. Now, the difference is, is you got to take that knowledge and actually apply it now. You can't just exactly. accumulate it. <laughs> so now, now that you have, you're like, okay, I think I've read enough books. Time to get in the arena. Yeah, hey, there it is. Yeah, because yeah. there are some people that are just like, man, they are the most knowledgeable do nothings in the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are a lot of Cliff Claverns out there. If anybody ever remember the show, the oh, show yeah. Cheers, Cliff, yeah. he's a mailman that came to a bar every day and drank, but this <laughs> dude knew everything. He knew it all. First of all, rest in peace to Alex Trebek. You know, think about that one little episode. You know, yeah, Cliff went on there and blew episode. it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, but, you know, you can be the person that has all the knowledge in the world, but with no action, you're pretty much, you know what you are? You are an Encyclopedia Britannica sitting in an old-ass library. Most likely, no one's going to even come to you at this point, especially in 2020. For any information, you're just sitting there with all this knowledge and people are ignoring. They're walking right by it. They don't care because there's no action behind it. This right. book full of knowledge that does nothing. You're an inanimate object with lots of information inside of it. So put it to use. Share it. Act on it. Do all that, man, because it's not yours to keep in the first place. It's really not yours. You know, now that you get it, yeah, you got to put it out there, man, and, and put it back out there. So, yeah. So Exactly. Actually, that's the most that's the most exciting part of it, because if it's it's one thing to accumulate information that helps you. That's great. But when you can share it with other people and it helps them, then it becomes really gratifying. And now you feel like you have purpose. We all need to feel like we have. We all, I think two things we all need is we need purpose and we need to have something to look forward to. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have no purpose, the more purpose you have, the more you have to look forward to. You know? So right. it's, it's funny how those things work out. But, I mean, it's even sometimes simple things, like we were talking about that company Always Bean, right? I learned about them on Instagram. They make a, a lot of vegan food, and they have a bean pie. That, and anyone who's ever had a Nation of Islam bean pie, that's a real treat, right? <laughs> and, and when I saw that this company sells all those things, I got excited, man. I was like, fuck yeah, I'm placing an order right now. And now it has – and then you have something to look forward to. You're like, man, that's going to get here. I mean, it's taking a while because they make this stuff personally. It's not something where they just pull it out of the fridge and put it in a bag and send it out to you. But, hey, it's worth the wait. The anticipation is fun going because you have something to look forward to. And that's something really insignificant in the big scheme of things, but it doesn't matter 
<laughs> yeah, right. something to look forward to. It doesn't. I don't care. Look, I'm excited about the new Dune movie coming out in the theater. Like, I'm, I'm like, you know what? I, I don't want to deal with the movie theater right now. But for that fucking movie, I'll put the mask on. And you're the there. first person when I heard about that. You're the first person I thought about because I remember. <laughs> I remember how you're a fan of the actual book. Yeah, you know, man, I love. You know, I was. I said, Mike's gonna love this, man. Either Mike's gonna love this, or he's gonna hate it. Well, <laughs> okay, the, the, so. the trailer looks like it's really authentic to the book. The parts of the book that matter, like it's yeah. really gritty. Adult. I always say a Dune is is Star Wars for adults because right. it's not PG stuff. I mean, this is R-rated material. Like people are banging, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> people are getting killed viciously. So I mean, it's 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 intense. Right. And that trailer looks. Like the story's already good, so as long as they don't take any liberties with the storyline, it'll be a good movie. We'll just see how it plays out. Now, it can't be worse than what came out in the 1980s. Yeah, that's right. for sure. <laughs> that had a few cool things going, but it's, it definitely doesn't stand the it, test it of time. It was very 80s, okay? Oh, yeah. It was very, it was very oh, corny wow. appropriate, you know? Oh, yeah. For the yeah. 80s. It's unwatchable now, but this movie looks cool. So, I mean, it's it's just good to have stuff to look forward to. It's good. Like, sometimes people talk to me. They're like, man, you know, you get excited about stuff like a kid. I was like, yeah, yeah. because I'm, I still have a kid's heart in me. Exactly. I still have that, yeah. I still have that child's curiosity. Yeah, you know, man. and I still have that child excitement without being childish. Okay. People see me skateboarding, and they're like, man, you know, you're having so much fun doing that. And I was like, yeah, it is, it is fun. You know what? What like like like? Look, you reach a certain age, you don't get to do fun shit anymore. It's right. like one of the benefits of taking care of myself physically is I can still go do shit like that and have fun doing it, rather than be like, oh man, you know, I used to love doing that when I was fourteen, but you know, but now, you know, now I would just fall right off and hit my head on the pavement. It's like no, all this training that I do, especially indoor board training and all that, just kept me in shape to do stuff like that. So it's it's fun to be active. It's fun to be excited about stuff. It's fun to be excited about going to concerts. That's one thing I miss so much with this whole pandemic situation is right. you know, going to an event, having a fun evening, things like that. But those things will come back around. You know, so like right now we're we just look forward to hopefully that comes back in next year at some point. Right. <clears throat> and that's enough to keep us engaged. Yeah, one of the phrases that kind of just like uh, makes me kind of just roll my eyes whenever it's a man, adulting is hard. I'm like, <laughs> no. To my adult, adulting is fun when you do it the right way. To right. My, because there are things I can do as an adult, like, trust me. When, I said, never forget when you were a kid, you couldn't wait to be an adult. And now it's like, man, to my, if I had known the things I knew as a kid about being an adult, I would have, well, what, prolonged it? Yeah. You've been, then you would have been living in your basement with your mom and you would have been miserable. No one would take you seriously because I, every I person think you're childish yeah. and they wouldn't want to deal with you. I'm like, so really think hard about what you're about to say. Like, no, adulting is fun when you approach it the right way. And it's to myself, well, it's all about just paying bills and blah. I'm like, yeah, but the thing is, if you're doing it right, you have the, you can go and choose how you make the money to pay those bills. Whereas when you were a kid, you really, your, your choices were limited. You know, mow a lawn here, babysit here, walk some dogs. But even trust me, all that, you can do that as an adult and still it can be fun. Come on, you know, just depend on who you are. So I'm just like, right. nah, I don't, I don't subscribe to the whole adulting is hard thing. No, being an idiot is hard. It's easy to do, but it's one of the hardest things when it comes to the results of being an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. doing childish things as an adult is like, yeah, it's easy to do, but it's hard. The consequences are hard to live with. Yeah. 
there's a difference between being immature and still having that kid's heart. <laughs> right. Some people is like, you got to take responsibility of your life and then you can really enjoy that, that kid energy because you're responsible. You're taking charge of things. Like, look, like I love skateboarding a lot more now at 40 fucking seven than I did when I was 14 because I lived at home with my parents when I was 14 and went to high school. I, I hated being a kid. You know, I couldn't wait to be self-reliant. So now things that I enjoy then, I enjoy even more now because I'm enjoying this not as an escape from my life. It's more as like icing on the cake. It's like, look, I love my life. My personal life's good. My business life is great. And then I get to go do stuff like this, these fun hobbies, because I've, I can allocate time to all of that. So you enjoy it even more. Right. So, I mean, man, whatever this, whatever the stuff you used to enjoy doing, like, man, you used to get excited about going to concerts when you were in high school and college. And then it just dropped off because you think, uh, I'm too old to go to that shit. Please. I go to fucking hardcore shows now. I'm probably the oldest person by, <laughs> I'm probably double the age of the second oldest person in there. Right. But uh, who cares about that? You know, I'm there. Yeah. I'm not there to impress them. I don't care about impressing people half my age. Oh, you? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I know I love this band and I'm going to enjoy this show. <laughs> I think know? the real problem people have is once you start dressing like a dork, everything goes downhill from there. <laughs> like once, 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 once you, once you start thinking that corporate outfit of fucking khakis and that blue shirt button down, that's like the generic corporate, that's like corporate casual. That's what people <laughs> wear at fucking, you know, when they're on vacation and shit. I was All like, right. once you think that's good luck, you're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing will accelerate the aging process more than dressing like a fucking dork. (laughs) I mean, if your default default outfit on a vacation is a a flowered shirt, (laughs) dress dress socks with sneakers, with white sneakers, no logo whatsoever, you're you're already in trouble, buddy. Yeah. Just the fact that you thought that was a good idea before you left the house. You know? And no one at your home checked you like, hey, look, yeah, don't leave the house looking like that. You know? You're wearing daddy yeah. dork gear right now, man. Like, no, don't do that. <laughs> so Yeah, but I remember as a kid, I would look at adults and I go, man, they're just not excited about anything. Like my dad would never be excited about anything except fucking like a fishing trip coming up. He'd always have this miserable look on his face. And even, you know, he's just not a guy who shows a lot of emotion getting excited about stuff. I go, that's, that's, is that what being an adult is? Like right now it's all fun and games, but once you get to that age, it's, it's all serious and there's (laughs) no joking around. There's no levity. I go, that looks terrible. And fortunately (laughs) it doesn't have to be that way. You know, we're both proof of that. So you can, man, you can, I I just, I I guess where we're trying to go with this is that you can shape your life into anything you want it to be. You know, if you're prepared to pay the price, so like whatever you think is important to you, those are things you can achieve if you're right. willing to pay the price. To my, yeah, to my, when, when you hear that pay the price, it doesn't necessarily mean you're paying a debt. You know, <laughs> right. to my, to my, you're either paying a debt or you're putting in an investment that's going to grow. Okay. So look at it that way. Cause most of the time you hear, you pay the price, like, oh, that sounds terrible. To my, no, not necessarily. Everything comes with a price. <laughs> Everything. So you're either going in the black or in the red. That's how you have to look at it. You know, it's either adding value to your life or it's taken away. That's it. That's all this. Yeah. So, and I feel like uh, that's a good way to end this this episode. I so think we so. Can, um, go add some value to our lives on top of the value that we just added to your lives. <laughs> so you know, all this talking about skateboarding, I was like, well, what am I doing here right now? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool, man. Yeah, that was a good conversation, man. I always enjoy talking about these kind of things. Awesome, awesome. So uh, yeah, folks, 
we'll catch you guys on the next episode. And uh, hey, man, be nice. <laughs> Somebody right now. That's what that's what everybody needs the most right now. So I think we can all vote on being nice. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, like the final thing I'll say is like, man, it, it takes so little to make someone's day. You know, yep. like a kind word, maybe a little extra on a tip for someone that's giving you great service. You know, whatever, or just tell them like, hey, thanks a lot for the great service. I appreciate it. Really helped me out here. Those things go a long way. I mean, I know I like it when people tell me that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I'm happy to tell other people's. I'm happy to praise people all day long. You know, because yep. it makes me feel good. It makes them feel good. There's no negative. Exactly. So people go out there and be selfishly selfless. There you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, folks. Like we'll it. catch you on the next episode. Take care. Take care, everyone. That wraps up this week's Live Life Aggressively show. Be sure to head over to MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Use the coupon code LLA12 and receive 12% off of your total purchase at either of those websites. Also, for more personal protection tips, make sure you head over to NewWarriorDefense.com. Support the production of the Live Life Aggressively show by heading over to Patreon.com and becoming a patron. Simply go to Patreon.com slash LLA podcast. All Patreon subscribers receive Patreon-only access to our brand new show, Afterlife, which is a brand new behind-the-scenes episode that is not available to the public. Our Patreon subscribers also get to enjoy bigger discounts on all of our products by receiving Patreon-only discount codes beginning at 15% off on all products on MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Lastly, be sure to share the episode by following us on social media on Facebook as well as our new account on Instagram. Until the next episode, take care, everybody.